All right. All right, my friends, welcome. Uh, this is Spencer Michaud. Uh, today is July the 7th, 2021. It is my birthday, and I'm here to celebrate with you. And I am joined by the lovely Tanya Andrews from inside the house. <laughs> this is my, this is my, going? <laughs> it's my lovely partner, Tanya. We're going to be talking about the new moon today in Cancer, the second decade of Cancer, breaking down kind of the lunar cycle a little bit. Um, if you are out there in digital land, please tell me where you are coming from in the chat box. Let me know that you're here. And uh, yeah, if you've got any birthday wishes, I, I, I will take them. And <laughs> I'm appreciated. Uh, appreciate all of you. Um, so yeah, got to give got to give the Leo rising his love. <laughs> he, needs, he needs that Leo love. Oh, it's fun. I, I, I thought it would be fun to come on online and kind of celebrate with everyone and and see how people are doing and share the love a little bit and bask in the glow of a solar return. So uh, we've got a couple of folks coming in from uh, Finland. Our Finland crew is here. Susanna and Tarja are here. Hello. Hello, friends. Hey. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're wherever you're coming from in the world, welcome and uh, let us know where you're coming from. Hey, Chernobyl show is here. Uh, coming from California. Good to see you, my friend. And uh, so- California representing. Yeah, yeah. So I love it. That's where that's where I'm from. That's where you're originally. From. All right. So Tanya, tell us a little yes. bit about yourself and some of your experiences with astrology, with magic, all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I started off as like kind of a, a baby witch in the '90s. <laughs> um, I first one of the first things that I found was, of course, Linda Goodman's Love Signs, as I think. So many people did who are kind of in our our age bracket um so you start off with the sun signs and it gives you like a little little taste that what's your appetite because you're like oh like how do i get to the bottom of this boy who you know i like and i want to know more about him like he's so mysterious oh he's a scorpio and so <laughs> and so you start off with that kind of like that little kernel and that kind of really like kept me interested in astrology for a long time it's just something that i've always really loved and really resonated with and i think that that's I was telling someone yesterday, actually, that that's a big part of how you and I actually met, because that was literally one of the first things we started talking about, right? It's true. It's true. Um, we were like, yeah, hey, so, we we're, were like, hey, I've got scary life problems. And like, hey, so do I. <laughs> Let's connect. What's your sign? Yeah. <laughs> Astrology and scary life problems, bringing people yeah. together since the, you know, I don't know, medieval ages, maybe? Well, we have we're on that twelfth house sun vibe too. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's why I'm so nervous about being here. Like I'm just like, <laughs> like I'm actually kind of vibrating a little bit. This is the first time I've been on camera in like I don't know how long. So, pardon me if I'm a little a little bit breathy or trembly, but I am genuinely excited to be here. Well, you um, had a, a cooking show, right? I've been in the past. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. So that was kind of an an offshoot interest as well. I just I love making things. My my Taurus moon gives me this kind of deep love for kind of beauty and making different things that are really sensual. And so for me, that kind of came into food for a long time. Um, and I've kind of extrapolated it into some planetary magic and my hoodoo practice. So I started practicing hoodoo and kind of conjure in that tradition more in like my 20s. Um, I got some books about it because I was like, I was doing the Wicca thing and it just never, it never quite resonated with me. Like I was always like, oh, this is, this is close, but I want something a little bit more 
you know, in, in alignment with kind of with where I'm coming from. And when I discovered conjure and hoodoo, that was something where it was like the light bulb just went off and I was like, oh yeah, of course, African-American folk magic. And so that was something that I kind of got really deep into for a long time, like making the, the herbs and oil blends and different things like that. And um, kind of doing different rituals and connecting with my ancestors. That's a huge part of my practice. And then I kind of started to merge them all together um, a few years ago when I started to kind of discover planetary magic and things like that through, you know, Austin Coppock and Caitlin Coppock and Clifford Lowe and kind of the stellar sorcery people. And that was something where, again, there was this kind of moment where it's like, oh, like I can bring all these things together. And so I started really experimenting with kind of combining my hoodoo practice um, along with planetary magic. And that's when some really interesting things started to happen. And so I just love it. I have so much respect for these traditions and I love kind of like experimenting and bringing things together in a new way. And you are a, tell us your sun moon rising here as well for the folks at home. I'm a Sagittarius sun. I'm a Taurus moon, as I said before, and I'm a Capricorn rising. So I was getting rocked <laughs> that Saturn. Yeah, you got Pluto on your side. And Plutoed. Yeah, I'm getting Plutoed and Saturn and just uh, kind of going through the metaphysical meat grinder a little bit, but definitely growing spiritually. It's been a really interesting time lately. I think cool, for a lot cool of people. Thing about Tanya's chart is she has Mercury in the first house in a mutual reception with Saturn in the ninth. So Tanya, you're always really surprising me with like words and language that you're almost like making up and like, <laughs> you know, like I, I kind of I kind of frolic about in the the fields of language and ideas. Things get a little fast and loose sometimes, I won't lie. And and you're my go-to for camel facts. That's true. That's true. I have a long-standing obsession because um camel camel fact Wednesdays, hump day. Right, right. There's there's many a camel fact that gets slipped into a lunchbox on Wednesdays in this house. That's true. So back when we were doing that, back when lunchboxes got made and people went places. Hey, remember places? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so I'm seeing a few comments in the chat box. Uh, Casey is here from Oregon. Hello, Casey. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Chernobyl show is in California, but joint, but is from the Ukraine. So again, another Ooh. international um, faction here. Top notch, top notch vintage is stopping by to say hello. Thank you for the solar return wishes. Um, and aligning light astrology is here. Miss, uh, Miss, I say, Doctor, Doctor Claire Moon is in the house, who was a guest on the on the show a few weeks ago. So I to rep the titles. That's right. <laughs> I got to got to make sure she earned that title. She worked so, for that. That's you right. better give it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yes, you have a Taurus moon. We're both 12th house sun out, you know, kind of uh living through that experience, which is always kind of a an interesting one. Um I can attest to Tanya's uh ability to both carry the the heavy load that we see in the 3rd deck of Sagittarius. The, the ten of of wands type of experience. Um, a bundle she, of sticks. She's quite quite a superstar when it comes to taking on difficult things, and I would say also uh, quite an amazing creator herself and a wonderful chef. Um, really is an artist when it comes to food and with art. Also, is a great artist who can draw wonderful things and um, really enjoy her planetary magic offerings as well. I use the um, 
shameless plug, but I use the Venus and Taurus oil every day. So I, there was a wonderful election that we had for uh, Venus and Taurus, and it just was everything. It was seemed so to come good. Together. Yeah, it was so good. We yeah. got, I loved how like right after we did that, when we'd just been soaking in that election and kind of all the material for a few days, we started to just get like the crazy Disney princess effect. Mm -hmm. We're just like squirrels were like coming up to us and like birds were landing on our shoulders. And we were like going for walks, like twirling under the trees, like dancing with animal creatures, like everything just kind of started to come to you and be like, oh my gosh, I love you. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. There's a video. If you're curious to see that in action, there's a video back in my Instagram feed of me like talking to a baby squirrel or something and it like climbing onto my leg or something yeah, like that yeah. was, the animals gonna, just came yeah. came out in force and we're like we don't know you but we love what you're bringing <laughs> totally totally um so yeah and we've been kind of doing a little bit of a planetary uh ritual every day as well can you talk a little bit more about that and how we got into that or or yeah. you taught me about that yeah it was something where i just kind of wanted to start you know, you know me, like I want to do everything simultaneously. So I was like, well, I don't know why we shouldn't just start kind of engaging with the planets on a regular basis. And so we started kind of a weekly practice of kind of like working through the seven planets um, on their corresponding day of the week. So at dawn, um, we set up an altar and have kind of a small offering of some sort, like an, an herb um, or, or sea salt for the moon. It's like something that's kind of germane to the planet. Um, I make a glyphs on paper and we kind of set up a crystal grid. So we're a little, little new agey. There's a little, little new age woo woo thrown in there because I can't help but bring that flavor because of the, the California upbringing. And I also make um, a corresponding incense blend. Um, some of it's kind of based on things that I've gotten out of the Picatrix and some of it is kind of combining some of my own intuition and kind of vibes about different herbal combinations or things that really seem like they're gonna be pleasing when you burn them over the charcoal. And so we have kind of the, the smoke offering, um, an herbal offering, crystal grid, and we'll say the Orphic hymn, or just kind of spend some time basking in that energy a little bit and just kind of connecting with the planets kind of one by one throughout the week. Um, pull a tarot card that's associated with it and kind of just have a little, little setup where it's just like a few minutes kind of every day to just kind of connect with that energy and give it a little, little nurturance. Yeah, I think that's the the important takeaway is really just creating time and making space to to have a relationship with the planet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to you know to give it respect. I think that's mm -hmm. the thing that in ancient astrology this, these weren't just um inanimate objects. They were they mm -hmm. were deities and and you treated it, you know, as a as something that was worthy of respect and and propitiating that in a way that was mm -hmm. you know showing that kind of um honoring practice so you know it, it's mm -hmm. it's it's something about we've talked about this in um the book this book club that i'm a part of uh when we were book reading club. yeah book club we've read a number of different books including cosmos and psyche um the moment of astrology we're going through post-colonial astrology right now but one of the main themes that has really come up is the insouling of the cosmos and how we kind of got disconnected with that through the the age of rational Descartes, you know, Descartes, what is the, what am I, Cartesian De logic? Cartesian. <laughs> there you go. The De I was trying to say Descartes, Descartes. De Descartesian. You want to say Descartesian. <laughs> right. Through, That's through something just, that I do. Yeah. Through that, like, uh, you know, it's perfectly cromulent to say Descartesian. It, is. <laughs> so it, it embiggens your soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tanya and I, for those of you out there who are lost, we have a little bit of like the, you know, we've been 
kind of together for over a decade now. And there's pretty much forever. a number of words that I'm sort of confused whether <laughs> we've made them up in their real words or whether they're just like part of a shared, you know, uh, inside insider language. And some, some of it's made up. Sometimes it's from The Simpsons like right, that. Right. So. What, what was that one? What was the episode that, that was from? The Oh, geez. That's the one with uh, Jedediah Springfield when they go to the historical museum and they have the display where he's like, a grand soul embiggens the... <laughs> <laughs> and the perfectly cromulent. Is, yeah, um... yeah. And, and one of the teachers is like, I never heard the word embiggen until I came to Springfield. And the other teacher's <laughs> like, embiggens is a perfectly cromulent word. And they're just like smoking and like all <laughs> unhappy to even be there. Sure. All right. So a few more people are stopping by. We've got uh, Jackie Fox is here. Hello, Jackie. Thank you for... The birthday wishes uh saying it's nice to to meet you virtually here tanya uh, hey everyone get ready for some nonsense aligning <laughs> light is saying that i've started doing some of those regular planetary rituals over the last year or two and it's really been fulfilling yeah that's it, oh, it really does so change your relationship and, and help you to come kind of i would say one little tweak that i've made over the past i don't know a few months or so is instead of asking for specific things, what I have been really focusing on is helping, asking the planet to help me come into alignment with the divine plan, you know, with, mm -hmm. with coming into alignment with whatever the, the order is in the universe and helping me to, I don't know, surrender to it on some level or understand what is required of me in that moment. Um, and I think that that's actually a nice little shift that can really change perspective on things. Mm -hmm. um, I also really love uh, the idea of kind of building a relationship with the planetary spirits and energies. So you, like when you want to work with them and you do want to ask for something or do a petition, you're not just like coming to them with your hand out and that's the first they've ever heard of you. Like right. it's always a good look to kind of build up a relationship with, with any energy, like anyone. It's like a person, you know, you, you don't want to just show up and be like, can I borrow the car? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> Totally. So it's nice to kind of like be, be giving some things to that that energy before you kind of come to it and are asking it to do something or trying to engage with it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and Tanya and I have these a really interesting um, interplay with our, our moon phases as well. I'm a last quarter moon and Tanya is a first quarter moon. So there is this, this balancing action of maybe um, someone who is trying to weed things out with the last quarter moon shifting perspective to be able to let go of things and then the first quarter moon being able to you know bring things into existence and both through a little bit of crisis or challenge as well like with that so but i would love if we could like unmanifest that but it's an ongoing process <laughs> it works though it, it's yeah. like i said it's a balancing act right yeah um couple other chat people are coming in here. Susanna says, nice to see you two together. My partner is also a 12th house son and I'm getting my solar return tomorrow. Happy birthday, Susanna. Happy birthday, Susanna. <laughs> Susanna is my birthday buddy um, who Love has it. the sun at the same degree. Um, so like you, Spencer, 15 degrees of cancer. Yeah, exactly. And she's turning 50. Oh my goodness. Happy birthday. What? Happy 50th That's birthday, That's a great Susanna. one. That is Happy cool. Happy birthday. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, 41 today, so I went through the existential crisis of turning 40 last year. I think I've come to terms with it and went through the 
first depression phase of it and now I've come come out of it <laughs> start exercising it was like I'm not gonna surrender to to time to father time I'm gonna take care of my body um, so I wonder if in other cultures like midlife isn't that much of a crisis where you just like feel glad that you're even like still alive and not just like oh my god I'm over the hill like sure. you know I feel like America's fixation on kind of like perpetual youth and kind of like it, it's just it devalues just the the magical miraculous thing that is just surviving oh, yeah. sometimes i'm just like living out of spite and i'm just like you know what like i'm gonna keep on keeping on <laughs> i'm getting older every day and that's great i, I think for sure i think we're a youth a, a youth focused culture especially in america and maybe in the west in particular and, and i don't know if we respect our elders the way that we should on some level um, or even just the aging process. I think that that's something that hopefully we can get back to is honoring every cycle of life rather than just thinking about this perpetual growth cycle. Um, this is something I've been harping on with this uh, you know, channel for a long time is getting used to the beauty of decay and the beauty of, of rest and like the natural cycle of letting go. And again, this is my last quarter moon talking, um, which maybe that's my role is to like you know? be like, hey, people, you know, it's not always spring and summer all the time. You got to get 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 on the uh, the fall and winter train every once in a while and allow yourself to rest. But again, it's it's because we are trying to reserve energy to be able to have a fruitful and abundant cycle when that energy is coming back. You have to allow the trees have to rest. The, the, the animals have to mm -hmm. hibernate or they're just going to exhaust themselves. So, yeah, perpetual growth is so destructive. Totally. Um, aligning light. Claire says she's also a 12th house sun. Yay. You're in the club. Yay. 12th house sun club represent and or just represent here. very quietly. Like yeah, 12th right. house sun club. We, we don't even want to be here. Oh my God. I was giving Claire a hard time on her office hours on Instagram last night. I, I was being very mercurial. Oh, uh, be nice. I was, I was just busting chops. It was, it was I was <laughs> such a sass face. She's an, she's an amazing sport. I know she has a good sense of humor and i think i just like watching her squirm a little bit because she does adorable things when i try to throw her for a loop but but claire i really in all in all seriousness i i have a lot of respect for your knowledge base and i think that you're an amazing astrologer so um it's all in good fun and blame my venus and gemini for uh showing love and appreciation by being a little bit of a, a rabble rouser it's brutal it's brutal i i loved i love claire's appearance on your show if people are are interested in seeing a really good kind of talk like that was that was a good one i like that a lot totally yeah yeah she did a great job and she's coming up in the world and mm -hmm. uh, check out her channel aligning light astrology both here on uh youtube and on instagram uh, Dimphy is here from Holland saying, hope you're having a happy birthday. Yay. Congratulations and lots of joy. Thank you, Dimphy. I hope you're doing okay and able to move, uh, move forward with all the things that are going on in your life. Um, we have aligning light says, Spencer, I'm pretty sure I was wrong about your solar return to don't listen to me. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe it's the Pisces moon, you know, we'll fudge some details here and there. <laughs> like, uh, Elfe Weatherly is here. Happy birthday. Thank you. Giving me the, uh, the live long and prosper sign in the chat. I didn't know there Love was it. a, there was an icon for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll give you it's, the it's spot a good right one. back. It's a good one. <laughs> and Claire says, boo earns. <laughs> Booing me. Yes. Yes. 
All right. That's, that's right, Claire. Get them. <laughs> All right, Tanya. So let's uh we've gotten some check-ins from people with the birthday wishes. We've we've learned a little bit about your um offerings that you have. Uh and you have a website too, right? So we'll give you the, the plug here. I do. Um I would say just follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best way to connect. Um that'll kind of point you to to all my things. I have uh, frantically was setting up my Etsy shop this morning. So <laughs> things are totally happening. And what's in the true, name of your business? In true 12th house fashion, Third Coast Mojo. Third Coast Mojo, which is a little, reference to? Little Michigan, Michigan. Little Michigan repping. Right. There you go. Mm -hmm. Hey, and Joelle is here. Joelle is here from, I believe Joelle is, is checking in from Lebanon. So very cool. Nice Ooh. to see you, Joelle. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Uh, another uh, very intelligent uh, astrological friend from around the globe. So again, we have a really cool um, multicultural show here and lots of people checking in from different parts of the world. It's super exciting to see that. That's one of the things I love cultivating here on this channel is really seeing the, the diversity of perspectives and things of that nature. So I'm really grateful for all of you checking in today. Um, so Tanya, let's, let's dive into this new moon in Cancer. Let's see what we've got here. Um, for those of you who all don't right. No, there was recently an update and I'm going to share my screen. So there was recently an update on a program that I use called Astro Gold. And you can see that in my uh, screen that I'm sharing here that I'm using a new wheel that is showing not only the signs, but the, the term or bound rulers being shown. So this is kind of neat. They also have a feature where you can uh, put the dec decanic rulers in. Um, and if you want to know more about that, uh, check out the video on my channel that is called Using Deccan and Term Wheels in Astral Gold. Um, so a pretty cool feature that gives us a little bit more information as we move forward. But this is our new moon on July the 9th, 2021 at 9.16 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, the moon will be conjoining the sun, which is what happens at every new moon, at 18 degrees of Cancer. So Tanya, what are some first impressions of this new moon that we have here? Yeah, um, so I really like it just kind of right off the bat because this is the first new moon that we've had um, that's not an eclipse in, in a minute. So we kind of got through the eclipse season and I feel like for so many people, the eclipse season was just so bumpy. There was just so many things where it's just like things are coming into reality and going out of reality. And just that, that Bardo period was just really deep, deep in the feelings. So, you know, just kind of going through that and kind of having just a nice, nice cancer new moon. And, and to, again, like since, you know, things have kind of moved off of that Capricorn axis, it's so refreshing to just be able to kind of like enjoy this unencumbered by that, like opposition to Saturn that was just harshing things um, so much for so long. And so to be able to just kind of like really kind of get deep into that that nurturing, that like the really pleasant side of cancer and just that really fertile kind of like love, love fest, mama energy vibe without kind of like the like harsh, harsh grunking of, of Saturn kind of getting into that. I think that's really refreshing. And I'm, I really like this new moon a lot. Yeah, that was, there was some rough sailing for the last maybe few years of cancer, mm -hmm. new moons and full moons. Mm -hmm. Because we had you, Sat, both Saturn and and uh, Pluto hanging out there, and I believe Jupiter was there in its fall for a while, you know, with the nodes too. So we had the the um, 
the south node of the moon there as well, which was a little bit gnarly. And then you're just getting that like eclipse thing and like the malefic opposition totally. to do to do magic with the moon. Uh, you like to have it kind of unencumbered from the malefic, so not having an applying aspect. And so that just kind of like knocked it out for so long. And I think people are probably really excited to start working with the moon a little bit more now that it's kind of like in the clear a little bit from that. Yeah, yeah, that is exciting. That was one of the things that stuck out to me um, as well was we don't have an aspect from the malefic planet. So if you look on our chart here, we have Mars. Oops, I'm going to just cross it out. Just cross it out. <laughs> no, Mars, you're not. No, Mars. <laughs> no. Not today. Not today, Satan. Not, to not today. You can see the two malefic planets, Mars and Saturn, are not witnessing this lunation. So they are both in aversion to the new moon. Um, in my Deccan wheel video, I, I misspoke and said, I meant aversion and I said Antitia. So <laughs> for those of you the, detailed sticklers the a, out the there. The A jumble. Yeah, I think that happens. I have a Mercury retrograde in Cancer and sometimes something, I mean to say something and something completely different just shoots out of my mouth and it's embarrassing, but I did put a correction in the video. But so these two planets are in aversion to this uh, lunation, which means that they're not really able to to create testimony for for this lunation, um, and that's positive. When when the when the malefics are in aversion, this is something that you and I talk about a lot, Tanya. When we're scrubbing mm -hmm. for elections, mm -hmm. um, for anything, for magic, for like signing our lease or whatever yeah, yeah. it is that we're magical, doing, magical and mundane alike. Yeah, tucking totally. tucking away the malefics is always the goal. Yes, and we also have. So if we can see that we're not being witnessed by the malefics, we do have Jupiter witnessing by a trine, by an overcoming trine, which is really positive. So I, I like that. The only problem that we have that is, you know, it depends on your thoughts on it, but we do have an opposition still from Pluto. So that could still be a little bit of a, a, a wrench in the gear. I think that Pluto opposition is really going to come into the conversation a lot more at the first quarter moon because we're going to have a t-square between the sun the moon and pluto around the 17th of july but we'll get to that in a minute um, and we're going to be building to a full moon on the 23rd of july when the sun moves into leo and the moon will be at about one degree of aquarius and that's the beginning of the olympics so that'll be an interesting time frame where a lot of the focus will be on an international type of uh competitive uh, stage, which is kind of neat. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. <clears throat> okay. So a couple other technical details before we really kind of break it down even further. Um, as far as just aspects go, we do have one thing I did want to point out that is sort of baked into this, even though it's not aspecting the moon. We do have Venus right now moving through what is called a malefic enclosure. And that is a little sticky. Although Venus is not the host of cancer and it's not really related to this lunation, so to speak. It is still baked into the chart and some things that could be some conflicts could arise from Venusian types of things. So what a malefic enclosure is, is when we have one of the malefic planets sending its ray to one side of the planet. So here we had Venus was just 
separating from an opposition from Saturn, and now it is applying to an opposition from Mars. So it's kind of stuck between the rock and the, the hard place type of thing. And this could make it very difficult for Venus to bring about the things that she signifies. And it, this may be affecting our relationships right now. There may be some relationship challenges that are, you know, trying, trying to test our patience. Um, we do have a square that's happening with Venus to Uranus around this period of time too. So maybe some shakeups. Um, any thoughts on this malefic enclosure with Venus, Tanya? Yeah, for sure. So I, I really, I hate to see our girl getting so maltreated, but yeah, so she's just kind of going from, you know, a, a cold, hard place, like into the fire in a way. And I like to see, you know, I, I don't mind a separating aspect from a malefic if it's applying to a benefic. So then that shows that the situation is getting better. But sometimes when you have that just malefic to malefic, it's just like bad to worse or like bad to just a different flavor of bad. And so that is, you know, it's baked into this election. So it's playing out somewhere in people's charts. And it might not be the focal point because the, the moon kind of like draws so much energy, especially when you're looking at it as kind of like a time signature for like a period of time. But that's definitely happening somewhere in your chart. So there's there's somewhere where it's like there's some conflict and like it's not getting better per se. It's just getting, you know, problematic in a different way. And that's something that I think like we're all going to be kind of like feeling a little bit like, and it might not be the, the main thing, but it's definitely a feature. Yeah. Fixed rising signs have been getting hit pretty hard lately by this uh, Mars Saturn opposition and now Venus going through the mill and the, the squares to Uranus. Um, I'm a Leo ascendant. So I've been feeling this a little bit for sure. I know, uh, aligning light out there has been feeling it. I think that she's a fixed rising as well. Um, probably have a few other people in, in the audience today. Tell me if you have a fixed rising, which is either Leo, Aquarius, Taurus, or Scorpio, you're probably feeling this, this uh, T-square pretty intensely. And now Venus is taking its turn going through that. So just be patient. Th this is going to start alleviating. Um, you know, it's only going to last for a few more days. You know, after the new moon, I believe that Venus is going to make a conjunction here. I'll just move it forward a little bit here just to see when we're going to get the alleviated from that energy. So we've got the Venus-Mars conjunction, which uh, is probably an interesting uh, action-orientated type of thing with receptivity and, you know, action coming together, the yin and the yang kind of union type of thing happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's around Monday or Tuesday, we're going to see it, Venus is going to pass Mars, and then we'll start to kind of see the, I don't know, the stalemate of, so to speak, uh, lighten up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be kind of like a spicy, spicy combo, but potentially beneficial, you know, sometimes when those difficult, difficult and like different energies come together, there's a level of fertility that I think you can experience too. Like, so that's another kind of like, a heating up of the kind of fertile ground that maybe you're seeing, you know, kind of starting off with the new moon. And then yeah. like you get to that uh, Mars Venus conjunction and then like something in that, that is going to like kind of heat up a little bit. Things are going to come together and, you know, you're going to get some new, new insight or get, get fired up about something new. Yeah. And that Deccan is Leo two, which is the six of wands, the victory card. So I have a feeling that, the, the pain that we're going to go through over the next week or the frustration is necessary to be able to get to that point of authenticity, of, of being able to express your authentic self. 
And there's always some growing pains that come with that. And I think that's actually another really good theme of this new moon in general is kind of growing pains. This Deccan is represented by the three of cups or, or syncretized with the three of cups, which is called abundance in the book T and the book of Toth. Uh, it is Austin Coppett calls it the walled garden and the daimon is Hercules. And we have some really interesting significations with this Deccan with Hercules. I believe you have a story about uh, a vulture god in Egyptian lore that will Nekbet, Nekbet right? We'll, we'll, we'll break down Nekbet a little bit. But I guess before we get to that, we're just seeing the moon is in its own domicile. So just thinking about this in broader strokes before we narrow down a little bit, the, the moon is a generative planet. It is something that is bringing things into fruition. So this is actually, I would say, one of the most fertile new moons that I think we've seen in quite a long period of time. The waxing, I love that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're going to, the waxing moon is going to be, this is a great time to plant seeds. This is a great time to, to figure out what needs to be nurtured in your life and what you want to protect from things that could threaten it. That's, that's another thing that, that is coming up in these themes. I pulled the the raccoon for this new moon as well for our animal spirit, which is a very protective animal of its family. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further as well, but tell us a little bit more Tanya about Nekbet and its role within the Deccan of cancer too. Yeah, sure. So in the, the Liber Hermetis, um, that's a Renaissance text that kind of picks up a lot of pieces from the earlier Greek works and brings them together. Um, and those Greek works are, of course, drawing from Egyptian symbolism. So for this particular Deccan, one of the symbols that it mentions is a like a vulture with a woman's face. And, you know, when you think of those kind of like hybrid human animals, of course, that's a very Egyptian motif. And so um, Austin Kopic and other people who kind of talk about this are like, this is probably the um, Egyptian goddess Nekbet, who is a vulture goddess. She's really cool because it's a pre-dynastic goddess. So she kind of was on the scene a long time kind of before any of these things started. Like, so, you know, vultures as this kind of like, like death, consumption and rebirth uh, motif are really powerful and really enduring. Um, so she became the kind of patron and guardian goddess of Upper Egypt eventually. And then when you see images of this particular goddess, you'll often see her holding something called a Shen ring, which is like a, a circle with kind of a line tangential to it. And that's a, a symbol of protection. So this is a goddess that she's she's extending her, her wings kind of out over the, the dynasty and over the people of this area and kind of enveloping them in her maternal protection, which is really like, I love how kind of like cleanly and beautifully that really ties in with the idea of the walled garden and kind of like that maternal energy that kind of like enfolds and protects, but also like puts up barriers around something. Yeah, and you were talking about there was some some stories about virgin birth with this goddess mm -hmm, as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, the thing about the particular variety of vultures that's native to Egypt is that there's no real differenti differentiation between the, the male and the female of the species. And so in the past, they kind of suspected that they were reproducing asexually, which goes into that kind of like really nice um, Mother Mary virgin birth. Um, so that's something that you see kind of like throughout so many cultures is that kind of maternal generative thing where it's like, it's just pulling from itself to, to create. So it's just this outpouring of creativity and energy from that kind of like creative, powerful, kind of dark feminine. Mm. And that's something that you can see in this deck in two. That's the, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, vultures are are amazing animals. So I mean, cool, so know. cool. I have I have some facts. I have facts you have, if you want. You them. have vulture facts. I do. I we, do. We see them a lot. On we we, we have, do we do. This is a really special animal to me. Like to me, they're kind of one of my kind of like just something that I really feel a lot of resonance with. Like it's whenever I see them, I just feel like it's like the goddess like giving me a little wink. I'm always like, hey ma, love you. <laughs> what do you got for and us? Just, yeah. So they are like nature's cleanup crew, and they're a really important part of every ecosystem. What's cool about them is that they can I love when animals can do things that like other animals can't or can do something that would just like kill other animals <laughs> like mm -hmm. when they have weird superpowers mm -hmm. so for vultures their weird superpower is they have a stomach acid that's so powerful that it can kill you know deadly toxins microorganisms and things like anthrax botulism cholera so they can eat meat that is just so rancid and so decayed that it would kill other animals and it would be a vector for disease otherwise so when they're kind of going through and like eating, you know, the carrion and cleaning up corpses, they're kind of recycling and helping the environment to be more clean. And they're present on every continent in the world, except for Australia. Australia, just so, <laughs> so special. We'll I love that about you, Australia. We'll you about that. I know. What, what takes that place in yeah, Australia? Right. Um, and, and the Antarctic, of course. Um, so they're just really widespread and they're an important part of the ecosystem. Um, most of them don't actually have a voice. And so they, they'll, they'll like hiss or grunt or like make clacking noises with their beak. Um, they vomit to deter predators. You know, I love a good vomiting defense. <laughs> there you go. Like camels do that too. And like, I love that vultures have a similar thing. So they can eat up to 20% of their weight when they're feeding, but that makes them heavy. And so if a predator comes at them, what they'll do is they'll just like projectile vomit on it, which will like disgust and scare them. And also it makes them lighter. So it's easier for them to just like take off and like get away really quickly. So if you're feeling threatened with this uh, <laughs> Pluto opposition to the moon, That's right. just stick your finger down your throat and just throw barf it out. Your, throw up on your assailant, right? Well, I think it's also like, it's, don't be afraid to like really have good boundaries like right. whatever that looks like for you like don't let other people judge it like you do what you got to do and vultures too they when they're feeding that much they're they're just filling up their stomachs and they're they're taking that food back to their young mm -hmm. they take care of their young for a really long time um in some species as long as eight months wow. and so they're they're very good parents like they they love they they kind of stay in these big flocks and they take care of their young so they they bring that home and they like lovingly barf into their baby's mouths as birds do yeah. don't they so also defecate on their legs too they do they do yeah. it's um that serves a dual purpose which is interesting right. it's both cooling because the evaporation off of it helps keep them cool and and cleansing because mm -hmm. they have high levels of uric acid in their excrement and that helps kind of like clean off all the germs and bacteria that they'll get on their feet while they're feeding and kind of in contact with um decaying matter you're just a fountain of trivia and facts, Tanya. <laughs> for those of you I like, out there, I like it, weird animals. For those of you on virtual land, these are conversations that we have quite often. Where I yeah, get... like I'll just accost him in the kitchen and be like, yeah. "Raccoons can use their hands." <laughs> I'll just accost him in the kitchen and be like, "Camels can drink gallons of water and not die." Like... No, it's it's great. It's uh, for for my for my Gemini Venus. It is. Uh, it, it's always a, a welcomed conversation to hear all the little trivia factoids about various creatures and, and things in the world. So, yeah, we keep it weird. That's right. All right. Uh, Chernobyl show is saying my tourist friend is still recovering after a traumatic divorce. OK, yeah. So fixed fixed sons are probably getting hit with this, too. 
Mm -hmm. Susanna is saying, I'm getting this T-square on my nodes. So I've got the south node at 14, Leo. Oh, boy. So this will be fun for you, Susanna, um, with the Venus making the square to Uranus over uh, right, right on your node. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out for you. Um, Susanna says, fascinating information about vultures, starry eyes. So thank you for obliging me, you guys. That's very kind. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've got a couple different kind of stories that are really playing out here. Um, so we, we know that we've got Venus in that malefic enclosure. We've got the overcoming trine from Jupiter. We have uh, Neptune making a trine to this lunation. We have this uh, new moon conjoin the fixed star called Wasat, W-A-S-A-T. Wasat. Wasat. You know. So this is like a this is the waist or the belt of Pollux in the the sign in the constellation of Gemini. Um, and this is you know I did some research with um, Elizabeth Hazel's book, a little book of fixed stars, which I like and highly recommend. Oh, good. She talks a lot about this fixed star being about mastery of skills because a lot of the, you know, those two twins were skilled at, at various disciplines, including storytelling and uh, horsemanship and boxing. So those are a few of the things that they were good at. But there's this is about gaining expertise, but potentially being prone to sorrow because Pollux was the the twin that was immortal that had to go through the loss of his brother Castor, who was the mortal twin, and had to sacrifice something to be able to give life back to his brother after his brother was slain. So there may be some sacrifice as we we you know bring something into existence, as we nurture something. Um, there may be some you know difficulties that we have to overcome, and I think that this really uh, speaks to the daimon or spirit of the Cancer Two Deccan, which is Hercules. Or Heracles, if you want to. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> right. right. So this this is uh, Hercules. Roughly translates to Hera's glory. So Hera plays quite a role in Hercules' story. Of course, Hercules was the great hero of Greek mythology, who had to to go forth and complete twelve labors. There is some literature that I've I've seen in the course of my studies that talks about Hercules being perhaps a stand-in for the sun's journey through the zodiac throughout the year. And a lot of the, the labors that he has to do have direct correlations with some of the, the star groups or constellations that move through the different areas of the sky. So like the Hydra, for example, battling the Hydra, um, that's one of his first labors. And Hydra actually rises very close to the sign of Leo now. So um, you can think of like the journey starting out at the almost maybe the summer solstice and in ancient times that was Leo. So we have Hydra being the first battle that the sun has to go through or one of the first battles, I believe. I don't know the exact order, but I just thought there that was a lot really, of them. Yeah, there is a lot. It was really fascinating. Like like there's one where he has to fight the, the stymph, I believe it's the Stymphian birds and that corresponds with the, the constellations um, Altair, the eagle, um, mm. Lyre, the vulture, and Cygnus, the swan. It, those are all in the same area. So you've got vultures these vultures again. Birds, right, exactly. Vultures coming to the fore again. Um, we have Hercules is also really 
it, there is a constellation of Hercules as well, and it's connected to Orion by another constellation called the Eurydonis, which is the great river in the sky. And Orion was kind of that hunter that was sort of boasting about his ability to kill anything and using force and raw just strength to overcome things. And really the journey from Orion to Hercules is one of humility because in the sky, Hercules is called the kneeling one. So it, it's literally a figure that is kneeling on one knee. And we saw this with, you can actually see this come up in the charts of some famous um, figures in history. One, one in particular was uh, Colin Kaepernick, who was the NFL quarterback that famously took a knee uh, for the, it's kind of started the conversation with, you know, Black Lives Matter and things of that nature and, and social justice around equality with um, policing and things of that nature. And he has his Saturn right on the fixed star uh, Ras al-Gethi, which is the main star in the Hercules constellation. So just really this kind of going through this journey that will lead to humility through experience. And I think all of those labors are those experiences. But the way that this connects, I think, to cancer is really fascinating because the story of Hercules sort of goes like this. Hercules was born to Zeus and a mortal woman. Um, I believe her name was Alcimene. I'm not sure if that's exactly the way to say it, but A-L-C. Pronunciation. Yeah, A-L-C-M-E-N-E. And this was one of Zeus's infidelities that he had over many times with mortals and one of alone. numerous, numerous bastards. Right. And, and Zeus, he <laughs> was a correlation with Jupiter, too. So so this is you know, Jupiter is that abundant planet because of, you know, we could see that it's connected with the it's abundant. All right. <laughs> we could see it connected with the mythology, right? With Zeus tossing it around everywhere. Right. Right. Just excessively fertile, like almost too, too fertile. Right. And and and. Zeus, um, you know, so he beget this child with this mortal woman and the, you know, Hera was always kind of the, the jealous, um, wife type of experience. Uh, well, she was always being disrespected by her husband. Understandably. Yeah. Understandably, it's hard, it's hard like, to blame her. Um, there weren't, but, there weren't that many men around. So she, she marries him. And then it turns out that he just like, can't stop getting together with like, other women with animals like just right. indiscriminate and she's just like keep it in your pants you're like you're my husband and he's like yeah sure and then he's like off turning into like a swan and turning into a cow and turning into a golden rain and just yeah. making random half mortal babies just all over the place <laughs> yeah. she was sick of it she was she was the the ultimate you know put upon you know wife i guess and she you know a lot of the greek myth talks about her vengeance to the children of zeus the illegitimate children there's there's a lot of vengeance so and, so much vengeance well and hercules bore the brunt of this I, I think that hera um encouraged through her divine ways um the mother of hercules to abandon her child and to expose the infant and um there was some part of the story where somehow uh there was Athena found the child and brought it to Hera and Hera didn't recognize it as an illegitimate child of Zeus and suckled the baby. Um, but Hercules was, was suckling so strong 
that that she pushed him away from the breast and the milk that's that sprayed uh you know like became the milky way so this was an interesting little factoid with in, that in some versions he bit her well there you go yeah so no, you don't you don't bite the tit that feeds you <laughs> that's right that's right um and eventually but 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 by the by hercules suckling the milk of hera he he gained some some divine qualities, right? He he was already a child of Zeus, but he got even more power from from this like this mother's milk that was really important. So there's also this signification of Hera, you know, nurturing and feeding the child. Now Hercules was returned back to his mortal parents, and there's some stories of Hera driving him mad to the point where after he he grew up, okay, he basically was married and had some children and, and killed them through his rage or through his, his insanity, uh, insanity. Exactly. Um, and then for, to repent for these crimes, he was given the, these tasks by Eurythreus or Eurytheus. What, how do we say this? U E U R Y T H E U S. I'm, I'm going to pronounce it incorrigibly. I would just be like your urethritis, like <laughs> you're see, you're... and then I'm going to get struck by lightning for being disrespectful. You're I need to work on. I need to work on my Greek. I'm going to say Eurytheus. That's how yes. that's what I'm going to settle. Let's go. On let's now. go with that. That's but nicer. interestingly enough, Eurytheus was was uh, there was another part of it that that okay. stood out to me where there was like this oracle that was talking about a king that was going to be born, and Her Hercules or Hera actually delayed the birth of Hercules so that Eurytheus could be born as the king. And like sort of like constricted the labor of Hercules in the very beginning. But Eurytheus came back around by being able to give Hercules these labors that were facilitated by Hera. So Hera was giving the, the, the illegitimate child uh, these character building experiences through abandonment, through wrath that was able to uh, humble Hercules. And I think that this may really be part of this Cancerian experience. Um, I think it's really fascinating just from my own experience. And I know that every second decan Cancer son doesn't have a, a super challenging childhood experience. But in my own second decan Cancer son experience, I, I did have a separation from my mother when I was young, when I was three or four years old and went to go live with my dad for a period of time and was separated from my mom. And a lot of those experiences did uh, build my character and, and forced me to figure out how to do some of these things on my own as well. I can also remember, this is funny, I do remember, and, I, and I've since reconciled with my mom, and, and there's been other health challenges that she's had that have also had to test my own um, patience and character and, and resilience. But I do remember one experience with her where I was a very shy child and I didn't really like interacting with people. And I, I don't know how much that's really changed, but <laughs> the 12th house son, 12th house Just son, 12th, 12th house going to 12th. But I remember my mom, uh, when I was about eight or nine years old, sent me into order food at like a restaurant, like at a burger place or something. And I, I was so angry. I was you sitting in the got to right? talk to people right i was sitting in the car people. and i was like i'm not going to do it i don't want to go do this by myself please don't make me do it i was crying i was like angry i was like just throwing a fit and she would not let me you know uh 
get away with not doing it and sent me in there and I had to order the food and talk to somebody at like nine years old or whatever. And which isn't unreasonable. No, and, but it no, was like, you got You got to learn. Yeah. It was like, it was sort of like Hera throwing this uh, kind of experience to a young Hercules type figure, not saying I'm some Greek hero, but the kind of this, the same kind of energy, right? Ordering, oh. ordering the burger was, yeah, was slaying your Nadean lion. One, one like, of go the, slay that lion. One of the labors of a uh, 20th century uh, <laughs> capitalism. It's like uh, raised we're, we're going to substitute, we're substituting the mythical golden apples right. for hamburgers because you gotta go America. Get a hamburger. Yeah, that's the most American Hercules story ever. Go order a hamburger and do it right. yourself. And you you're know? like, it's impossible. <laughs> Oh, how could I ever? <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous talking about it now, but but the feeling of it was, I think, legitimate as far as just because I remember it. I remember that experience, you know, almost a formative experience, right? Almost thirty years later, over thirty years later, I, I it was it's burned into my brain, and you know that those those types of things, if you can remember those types of things from your youth, that they had an impact on you for better or for worse, right? So I think that with this new moon in particular, we may see that we are trying to bring something into maturity, but it's going to go through some trials and you have to test it. You have to be like that Hera with the mother of a child. And, and you can't, um, you're, you're not going to create a strong child by, you know, nurturing them or by spoiling them or by letting them or doing everything for them. I think that's really the, the key here. And this is something that I've experienced with my own daughter is I'm actually pretty, I'm a pretty tough, I'm a pretty tough dad. I, I challenge my daughter to, to do a lot of things on her own and to uh, work very hard. I have high expectations for her, but I think, you know, reading this story, I'm starting to understand where that impulse might be coming from. I've told my daughter that, that if you can um, not necessarily live up to my expectations, but if you can handle what I'm going to put you through, uh, you're going to be able to handle anything. I'm going to be able to forge you in the fires, like, you know, and make you a strong person that's going to help you to, to work through all sorts of different things in your life. And, and that's really my, where the intention that I'm coming from is to create a strong Hercules type of uh, person that can go out into the world and weather whatever life throws them. Now she might disagree at this point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she, she would have something to say about that. I yeah. think to, too, like that whole thing kind of ties into something when I think about how manifesting something kind of comes into play, yeah. like everything is going to get pressure tested eventually. Right. And so this is kind of the moment where, you know, at this new moon, it's a really beautiful and kind of potent time to like have that dream, like to have that really like big dream because there's that Jupiter kind of feeding into it. Like what really matters to you? And how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to go through to get it? And you're going to experience those things because when you're trying to bring something really big or like make a big change in your life, especially kind of after the tumultuous times that we've all been through recently, I think a lot of people are just really re-examining their lives and being like, do I want to work here? Do I like this relationship? Am I living in the right place? Like, what would I do if I knew this, you know, was the last month of my life? Because, you know, who knows? And so I think as people are thinking those things, it's going to get you asking some really big questions. And this is a really beautiful kind of point to like plant that seed and be like, what really matters to me? Like, what am I going to build that wall around, you know, and do everything to protect while it's small and growing, but then you're going to have to expose it to the world and to kind of like those real time challenges 
And that's going to be the moment where it's like you're hardening off your tomato plant, like you started inside, like in the greenhouse, like, and you've got this precious little sprout and you're just protecting it from everything and lightly misting it and playing it classical music. And eventually you got to put it outside. So it toughens up. And I think I that this like, is something really similar. I feel like there's a subliminal message in there for me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about my tomato plants. I have like a whole bunch of like all black tomato plants that I'm growing, you guys. That's I'm super cool. excited about they're them and cool. very preoccupied. No, I think I think <laughs> just that, thinking about my children. <laughs> no, I think that you're hitting the nail totally on the head. And I'm just thinking about, um, you know, my own journey as a parent and trying to protect something very vulnerable and then getting to the point like my daughter almost got to go the, outside the wall. That's right. My, my daughter is transitioning into adulthood. And that is a it's a difficult thing, especially when you, you a lot of your identity is you know, revolves around keeping something safe and, and keeping something uh, hidden away, you know, like kind of like in that enclosed in those walls to protect it from the predators of the world. But again, like you were saying, we've been stripped of all these unnecessary things, you know, and maybe we've been stripped of some things that we are really attached to that were nice as well. Some so of them probably felt pretty necessary. Yeah, it was probably pretty gnarly in some cases. But when we have things stripped to the bare essentials, we get to decide what we're going to add back in. And I think that this is another peak moment where we're kind of coming out of that pandemic energy, the stripping process, the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the shedding of the skin. And what are we going to be able to, to add back in that we want to be a truer expression of our authentic self? And this may be something that we see that's coming to fruition at the full moon with the Leo sun and the, the Aquarius moon um, is how are we going to, what, what persona are we going to put on? What, what masks are we going to wear? How are we going to get more comfortable with our real selves rather than this like role that we potentially could have been playing previously that wasn't serving us anymore, that we were just playing it out because it was maybe just um, what was, what was easy or what was uh, what we were used to. And I think sometimes what was once the right answer eventually becomes the wrong one. And uh, even if the role that you were playing was necessary in the past, you know, circumstances change and you have to figure out how you're going to flow and make adjustments. Right, Tanya? For sure. I mean, I really love how this, this lunation, I'm just going to drop a little like nugget about what's ahead. I love how it goes from the, like the walled garden kind of vibe, like the hot house, you know, protected tomato plant to like when you get into that first decan of Aquarius, like you're outside the wall. Like, it's like, what happens when the boundaries are gone? And like, who are you when you're stepping into your own kind of like vision and like getting outside of the boxes that you were in before and maybe even getting outside of society's boxes. And so I love that this like, this lunation is gonna kind of take us from this like little precious protected seed to like going on to that journey of kind of like, who are you? Like, who are you in the biggest sense of, you know, what you want to be? Like, if you were living without boundaries, what happens next? And so this is just the start of that journey. And I think this moment is just really special and interesting. That is a great observation, um, especially moving from the inner, you know, kind of experience, the protected experience to the the more like, okay, you know, the castle, you're, you're not going to be, uh, you don't have any more of that, that inner protection. You got to, you're kind of getting <clears throat> birthed out of the out of the womb, the protection of the womb, 
and exposed to the world, sort of like Hercules. And, and there's going to be, there's definitely going to be some lessons learned through that. Um, but again, you know, I think that the key is humility. The key is having that beginner's mind, um, thickening your skin up a little bit, I think can help too. Uh, this is something that we've discussed as a, as a family a lot recently is how do we thicken our skin up to be able to move forward into the new roles that are required of us professionally and domestically. And um, yeah, I think that the other thing about this deck in, we have a couple of really interesting fixed stars at 14 degrees of cancer. Sirius is also very prominent, which is about the return of the floodwaters to the, to the Nile in ancient Egypt. Um, and one very close by to that was uh, at 15 degrees of cancer is Canopus, who is the navigator of the Argo. So we're, we're kind of exploring. Um, there's this powerful resurrection energy in this Deccan, but also this exploratory energy as well. So I think that the first thing I would say is, you know, explore within that safe space to, to get ready for that blossoming and to get ready and prepared for what is going to be required of you when you move forward into that new identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Tanya, let's move forward here. Uh, let's take a look at that quarter moon. Um, how are you all doing in the chat? I see that we, uh, Deborah is here. Deborah is here, says, I love seeing the vultures in the morning sunning themselves and drying their wings. They are beautiful birds, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And they're they're doing that to warm up too. Like there's a pose that you actually see a lot in Egyptian art where it's like they have their their wings out and they're like spreading their wings to like collect the sun. It's so beautiful. Very cool. So what we're looking at Great verbs. I love verbs. (laughs) They are fun. What we're looking at here is the... uh, first quarter moon which is happening roughly on you know early in the morning of july the 17th eastern daylight time and the first quarter is when we have a square between the sun and the moon it's generally a, a, some kind of uh, material crisis where you have to to make a herculean effort to bring something into fruition i can already see personally that this is going to be part and parcel. This is the day that I will be giving my talk on the Deccans at the Nightlight Astrology Summer Speaker Series. Put, you know, put it in your calendar. It's going to be at noon on July the 17th, Saturday. There will be a link in this video description if you want to register. It is free. So come out and... and uh, the price is right. There you Watch go. Spencer clean out the epic stables of your mind and corral the uncorrallable herds there'll be golden apples of wisdom poison arrows of uh, excitement (laughs) totally and you know this is a i think this is one of the more difficult time frames of the month Um, it's a bumpy patch for sure you've got a t-square between the sun and the moon and also in opposition with Pluto. So this is, you know, you can see this T here, right? And we've got the sun moving into the third decan of Cancer, which is um, really about, it's the four of cups experience where we're having a, we've nurtured something, we've brought something to fruition, and now we're thinking about the cost of that luxury. Like we're thinking about that, 
for us to receive that it takes away from someone else. There's some significations with Hecate in this Deccan, um, which was the, the giver of life, but also the destroyer. So we may be thinking about, you know, what, what is, what are we going to do with what we've created, right? What, how are we going to take advantage of this very fertile and abundant time? The sun's also going to be on a fixed star called Procyon, which is really fascinating that we pulled the raccoon today because the, I believe the Latin name for raccoon is Procyon Loter, which means before the dog. Procyon means before the dog. And that's cool because, right, the little dog, because (laughs) Procyon is a fixed star that rises or rose before Sirius, the the greater dog in Egyptian culture that it was marking out that, hey, when this fixed star appears, that means that Sirius is not very far behind. Mm -hmm. And that was the one that they were really excited about with the flooding of the Nile and the fertility Mm -hmm. coming back to the valley. Um, But it's like the the constellation of the the raccoon that's that's knocked over the garbage and is like running away really fast before the dog comes. Yeah, like kind of stealing something, right? Kind of like saying, "Okay, I'm going to get something before the." There's a little the, little Promethean element there. What yeah. you what can you get your little mitts on? Stealing fire, <laughs> but Procyon Loter means before the dog washer. So, raccoon is is a notorious for for appearing to wash their food. Um, and put their hands underwater. They have very sensitive hands. Um, so the, my experience of Procyon is that this this fixed star is about uh, kind of like fireworks, right? Where you have this explosion of energy, but it's fleeting. You know, it is announcing something, but it's 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 about uh, something greater that is yet to come. Okay, uh, and it's going to be making a square with the moon in the third decan of Libra very close to the fixed star Spica. So tell us more about Spica. Spica, Spica. I think about that so much. Um, So that's a really auspicious star. Um, That's one of the ones that I have kind of a nice interest in because it's really great for kind of that abundance and kind of manifesting. And so when you're thinking about just something that's really like bringing in the goodness. So it's a, that's the sheaf of wheat one. And so it's like that kind of like very like abundant harvesty energy um, and so you're kind of like bringing in, bringing in the blessings. It's one of the few fixed stars that doesn't really have any kind of malefic associations. Like a lot of the fixed stars, when you look at the stories behind them, they're very mixed bags. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of curses associated and there's like some blessings or there's like a bright side, but there's like kind of a downside. And Spike is one of the ones where it's just like, it's a really sweet star. It's just a really benefic kind of abundant influence. And so that's something that I, I really like about this particular placement. Yeah, Spica is extraordinarily fortunate. I agree. It was also called the Stella Maris, which was the protector of seamen, right? The protector of sailors that were. <laughs> you can you can see me trying not to giggle. <laughs> I knew you were gonna giggle. <laughs> Dirty mind. Prote- well, maybe we're protecting the 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 semen that's going to fertilize the, the our fertility. dreams fertility right? of you, right. protecting the fertility of your dreams right there you go don't be gross um so Just about the fertility of your dreams right and spica is is you're right it's the sheaf of wheat where it's the concentration of the harvest in in the constellation of virgo so it's all the gifts and the abundant gifts of all the hard work that you've put in so this may, you may be reaping, uh, you know, kind of the fruits of your labors 
around this period of time. And I can, I could see this playing out in my own experience. I'm, you know, I've put a lot of work into my, my, my talk and like, then I'll have an audience that I'll be able to share that talk with and whatever will come from that. Um, but we have to be careful because we have this opposition to Pluto. Now, before we get to that opposition with Pluto, we have um, the, the Deccan with, with Libra three has, is that four of swords energy where we see a figure that is kind of resting and trying to find peace. I, I think of this it's card. A, it's a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think of this card as like the, the eye of the hurricane card uh, in, in where we're trying to find that calm center as chaos is raging around us. Um, what do you think? What do you think about this yeah. four of swords? I, yeah, I think that that's kind of a good interpretation of it. Um, when you look at some of the associations with this Deccan from the Picatrix, you see that the imagery is just, it's kind of like gross and chaotic. Like it's a man riding a donkey and maybe there's a wolf riding the donkey too. Maybe the wolf's in front of him. And it's associated with like just a lot of kind of like really chaotic things like, like pleasure and sinfulness and impudence, entertainment, enjoyment but like adultery and sodomy and evil works. And it's just kind of like all, it's all over the place. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like one of those decans where it's like, there's a lot of potential for overdoing it. And kind of like that energy of like, you know, you're trying to kind of like strike a balance. And when the moon is in this place, she's into what's called the, the via combusta, right. which is kind of a 30 degree span between 15 degrees of Libra and 15 of Scorpio, where the moon's considered not really suitable for magical workings. So you're kind of, if you're looking to kind of like bring things into form, like the exception I would say would be when it's like really, really close to spica because spica is going to mitigate that. And you may want to make like spica talismans or do something to kind of like connect with that energy. Um, that's a great thing to do kind of like when it's really close to that exact degree. But other than that, the moon doesn't love being in the last part of Libra that much. Like it's just kind of like, it's a difficult balance to strike because it's kind of about like, it's, it's harsh. It's mm -hmm. harsh. And there's just like, the, the Deccan's ruled by, let's see, what is it? Jupiter, Jupiter and Mercury. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. And, and Saturn is exalted there. So like, this is kind of like, you know, you're in this turf where it's like the, the balancing act is, is really hard and you're kind of really trying to kind of like strive for virtue, but there's going to be a lot of things that pull you into vice. And I, sometimes the response can just be like, you know what, I'm just going to go in my coffin. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. a true 12th house sun moment. I do know that this Deccan of Libra um, that the moon will be in is the spirit associated with it is Nemesis. So Nemesis being that deity that restores right proportion, but sometimes mm -hmm. through punishment. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of think that we may be experiencing some challenge, but we're, we're trying to bring things back into balance and back into harmony. I, I actually have some clients that have some prominent placements in this deck in and we talk a lot about being able to find that calm center and, and not to just get thrown off of your game by all of the stuff that's happening in your life it's like you're not gonna be if you if you're relying on your external circumstances to to find peace you're gonna have a difficult time but if you're mm -hmm. connecting to that that calm center you are going to be able to bring peace to that chaotic environment. And that might be more of your role. You may be playing the role of nemesis, restoring right proportion through, through that peacefulness, through that, um, you know, almost Saturnian type of energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that's part of why Saturn does so well there. Like that's, 
yeah. Saturn reaches its its degree of exaltation um, here at, at 21 degrees right. of Libra, I believe. And that's just like a juiced, just juiced up Saturn. Like yeah. that's Saturn at its best. That's top, top shelf Saturn mm -hmm. um, for that kind of like wisdom and like decision making. Um, but like that really, like that kind of cold balance. Like that can be what it's so, so good for, but the moon kind of doesn't want that. The moon wants to just like bring everyone in, bring it in for a hug. Everyone just want to nurture everyone, but it's like, it's not going to work to bring everyone in for a hug when it's just like, you know, chaos and arrows and donkeys and wolves. Right. And interesting to think here's an, here's another connection. Isn't it fascinating that the moon in via combusta is near the place of Saturn's exaltation and they being mm -hmm. opposite type planets right? Mm -hmm. In Thema Mundi, they're opposites. This, the sun and the Saturn are opposites with, um, with Leo and Aquarius as rulers, right? And we have mm -hmm. uh, Cancer and Capricorn being ruled by Saturn and the, the moon, respectively. So that there's some interesting significations there. One other mm -hmm. thing I wanted to point out with fixed stars is that uh, in addition to Spica being in this area, there's another one that's pretty close called Arcturus, and Arcturus is kind of in that constellation, Bootis, who was the the hunter, the hunter-gatherer that became a farmer. And he's like pushing a plow or something like that. So it is sort of like this domesticated type of energy where you may be, you know, going through this process of learning the types of, of uh, social graces that will, you know, carry you through to the next type of experience and create create abundance. And being a pathfinder, it, I think at this first quarter moon, you have to be okay with forging your own path, you know, and with like trying something new and maybe even at the, at the, you know, without getting the approval of your milieu on some level too, you know, mm -hmm. right. And you're making a decision about what you're like yoking yourself to, that it's like, you know, a, a donkey that's just kind of running loose is just going to cause problems and like mischief. But if you like, tie it to something and have it pulling something then you can do constructive things or like if you're you're moving a burden or if you're kind of like deciding what that burden is and what you're going to like kind of like hitch your your wagon to you know this is a time to kind of like especially in kind of this this kind of like peak of this half of the lunar cycle like now's the time to just be like all right like you did the the visioning and now it's time to like really like hitch in on that one thing and just kind of dig down and start doing that work well, and we, you know, with the contact with Pluto, you know, the, the new thing that you're trying to bring into existence, sometimes when we're starting off new endeavors, we have a lot of self-doubt, you know, we, we have to eliminate some of the obstacles to manifestation. And I always think of that Pluto as, I say this all, all the time, but it's the plumber planet, right? It's the clogged toilet of our always life. The clog, always the clogged <laughs> toilet of life yeah so there may but be that's true like right. there's there's blockages and like again if you want to bring things into form like you have to get rid of the barriers yeah and i think the corruption that we may see with this with pluto retrograding back through the third decan of capricorn is there's probably some bureaucratic <laughs> systems that are going to be difficult to work within it may be more of the hierarchical structure that you have to work within that is that is corrupt that you may feel some tension with um, you know, an organization that you have to work with, uh, maybe a boss or something like that. So uh, be, a lot of the times when we are trying to shed old skin and take on a new role, 
that can feel threatening to other people in our life because they they put us in these boxes. And I think that that's a, something to consider here is that your assertion may be creating this tension with other people in your life that are trying to keep you small. And I, I think that that's, um, that's definitely something to consider when you're unfolding and flowering into the new existence is trying to maybe don't tune it, I guess not tune it out completely, but, but really the, the way that you, oh, the measurement of your success should be come internally, not necessarily external. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I think also it's like, for so many people, the, the thing that can hold them back from really changing is going to be like your friends and your family that are like, oh, you always go to the bar with us or, oh, you always mess up at the last minute. You know, people sometimes kind of get an idea of you where it's like they want to hold you in that identity where they had the most power over you or where you were the smallest and most kind of manageable to them. And I think if you're going through like a really big transformation where you're trying to kind of really just shake up some area of your life, there's going to be people that that feels threatening to because it makes them reflect on where they're at, you know, yeah. and it's going to make them reflect on their relationship with you and be like, oh, you've changed. And it's like, of course, you've got to change, mm -hmm. you know. And that's something that can be, you'll definitely encounter some resistance sometimes from people who kind of want to see you stay in your little box. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think another thing we could see with this, in addition to maybe some pushback from people who expect you to be one way, is just that tension between, you know, this maybe a professional and a domestic life too. And maybe that the balancing act that, that that moon in Libra is trying to perform is how do I balance out these two competing interests? How do I balance out what I want to breathe life into versus what I need to let go of? Like, how do I balance mm -hmm. lunar and, and Saturnian type of experiences? Because I do think there will be something potentially that comes up around this period of time where, where we are going to have to deal with... Um, you know, a challenge where we're going to say, well, we may have to let go of this if we're going to breathe life into something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Tanya, I'm seeing some more comments coming in here. Dimphy says, good question. How does one thicken one's skin? 60 in August and still not easy. Tanya, I'm going to throw that to you. How do you thicken your skin? <laughs> I mean, I think that that is, it's a, it's a process for sure. I mean, and I'm, I'm not the poster child for that. I'm a sensitive Sally. So I think too, like I was talking about, who was I, ta I was talking about this with someone recently and I was like, you know what, be too sensitive, but acknowledge that that's kind of where you're coming from. Like, I, I don't think that sensitivity is inherently a bad thing. And like, sometimes when you feel pain, you feel all kinds of other things deeply and it gives you kind of a, a super strength to like see and observe things. And like, you know, also like the, the flip side of it is, you know, if you're less sensitive, like you can kind of like forge ahead and do more things, but it's, everyone wants to kind of like cultivate that balance because you don't want to be so thick skinned that you're not taking in feedback from people, especially when it's time to kind of like hear someone telling you something about yourself that you do need to hear that you might not like and kind of really take that in and be like, oh man, I need to change. Um, but also not to be like, you're so sensitive that you just never kind of come out of that that walled garden or come out of your shell. And I think that that's something we're all going through. A, a big part of it for me is really working on my self-talk and kind of trying to talk to myself like I talk to a small child or 
you know, one of my cats or like a friend, (laughs) you know, you wouldn't, we all say things to ourselves that are just so brutal sometimes. And like, you would never say that to another person. You would never talk to another person the way you talk to yourself. And sometimes when you're feeling the pain of, you know, external slings and arrows, what you're really feeling is like your own reaction to it because you're like, oh my God, that's completely true. I'm a loser, you know, and that's not true either. Like you can kind of like take things with a grain of salt, but definitely work on kind of like just really, really loving yourself. I think that's like so important. It's just radical self-love. Yeah. And you can think of like the the, the four agreements, right? Like Mm -hmm. trying not to take things Mm -hmm. too personally, Mm -hmm. right? Like self-examination is important. But a lot of the times the feedback that you're going to get from people is a reflection of their, you know, challenging self-talk, right? So true. So true. Sometimes other people's opinions of you are not your business. Well, and also I like that Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz because he talks about not making assumptions too. A lot of the things Mm -hmm. that we, you know, we get confused because I think people... We don't have clarity on things and we're just coming off the Mercury Neptune square and we may not have clarity about exactly what all the details are. And sometimes I think getting curious and asking questions can help alleviate some of that, the pain of, of taking things personally and sensitivity too. is saying, well, why, why do you feel that way? What is, what is it that I'm doing or something like that that's making you feel a certain way? How, how does, would this, um, I don't know, what would, what kind of experience or, or behavior would be something that would make you feel comfortable? And then if they give you that feedback and it's rational, then that's something that you can take in. But if it's not, if it's something that's just a reflection of their pain and their insecurity, then you'll, you'll have more clarity that that's probably more on them. And then you can just discard it. Not every feedback that people give you is going to be useful. And I think it's a real skill to be able to understand when, when advice that you're being given or feedback that you're being given is, actually constructive or when it's destructive so really you know learning the difference between constructive and destructive feedback i think is really important it's just getting curious like getting getting curious when you're confronted with something instead of like rushing to accept or rushing to defend against it just sit with it for a minute and kind of be like well you know let's ask some questions about this yeah i think we're going through this as a culture right now too as we Mm -hmm. try to bring about equality and fairness and and maybe change the narrative slightly, right? Uh, where people are, are feeling personally sensitive about certain uh, social topics. Uh, Spicy times. Yeah. and But also thinking about it, though, that a lot of the challenges that we are going through are systemic, like that, that there is a system in place that perpetuated some of these beliefs that were unfair. And how mm-hmm. do we examine things both from a systems perspective and then seeing what our particular role might be within that system. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where the curiosity and the discussion comes in rather than going straight to the place where you, you feel personally attacked or you feel like, Oh, or you start to feel overwhelming guilt for something. I think it's, it's about examining the system and also saying, well, how can I be a, somebody who is perpetuating the type of system that is fair and that is uh, affirmative for life rather than denying life. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And even if you aren't the one who personally like built an oppressive system, like you in, in this moment have the ability and the responsibility 
to look at your role in it and kind of be like, how do we do this better? Like, you know, yes, it's not literally your fault that there was slavery, but there are still after effects that we're feeling very keenly in society to this day. And I think it's everybody's responsibility to kind of take a kind of a really honest look at how, you know, so your society works wherever you are in the world and be like, how can we make this more just? Like, what are some things that got baked into it that hurt people? Yeah, I really think this this square, this moon square is, has to do with with privilege as well, mm-hmm. because that third decan of cancer is really about luxury and excess. And what do we do with that excess? And, you know, in in various countries, we do have uh, privilege that is excessive and we have to say, OK, well, how do we redistribute these resources in a way that's more fair? And it may come through giving something up willingly and contracting and and understanding that we all may have some blind spots about our our behaviors and our actions with systems that we've been born into and once you receive that education then the impetus is on you to make the change right i think that's the key i don't think anybody's going to be super upset if you came to something through ignorance but once you get edified once you get that education that's when the I guess the the moral choice starts to come in is are you going to perpetuate that ignorance or are you going to take a good hard look in the mirror and make a change so that your I don't know your proverbial brothers and sisters are going to be able to have a an e- equal and fair chance at, at life and prosperity and things of those those natures. Um, sure, you anyway. you gotta you know better. You need to do better. And it's like, you look at that, I'm sorry, I just, I want to like point this out. You look at that kind of interplay, like how close that, that Pluto and sun opposition is like, it's really the shadow side of power and Mm -hmm. and wealth and privilege. Like, you know, there's a dark underbelly and it's that, that clogged toilet that you got to tend to, you know, especially like before it becomes too much, like that kind of like imbalance of like power and wealth and privilege can't stay that way forever because it's a pressure cooker. It's like that volcano energy. Like, you know, the the plates are kind of like going along really slowly and like it may seem calm on the surface, but there's just like big trouble brewing. Well, we're seeing that with the Pluto return in America. Mm -hmm. We have America's Pluto return. So all of these topics are coming up. Um, and, And I would say too, one thing that I think is important is that if we truly do believe that you know, what some of the new agers would say, we are all one, right? Is that the suffering of one faction of society is the suffering of everyone as well. You know, like you can't have equality and fairness. You can't have peace if if everybody isn't afforded that same opportunity. Um, and I think that that's something that you really see because like you said, if one area of society, one faction is hoarding, eventually you're, you're planting the seed, like in the, the yin and the yang, right? The yin yang, you're planting the seed of the opposition, you're planting the seed of revolution and things like that. And by sharing, by sharing rights, by sharing privilege, by sharing abundance, you're, it's a steam valve. Do you know what I'm saying? It's making it so that everybody feels like they have enough and everybody is feeling respected and things like that. So I don't know. That, that, that to me is is part of Nemesis's role as restoring balance and right proportion. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those themes really coming up in the news cycle 
uh, over the summer. Um, and we've been seeing this in the lead up to the Olympics as well. We've had a lot of things come up with, um, with African Americans and, and their role within the Olympics. Feeling, feeling <laughs> some kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are we, are we going to go there? We're going to go there. Well, we should, when we talk about the Olympics, I think for yeah. sure, because right. there's been right. a lot of, I think the Olympics in general is an organization that may be as much as it may purport to be this kind of egalitarian organization, it's still stuck in the past way of doing things that may not be equitable for people of color and may not be fair for every type of nation, right? We had, we had a couple instances of this. We had a, a, a sprinter who lost her mother. Uh, what is her name? Shikari, right? Richardson. Shikari yeah, Richardson so. was suspended, I believe, for a month and unable to compete because... Well, it wasn't because of her mom. It was because of like her, her marijuana use. Right. She was, she had, uh, she tested positive for marijuana after her mother passed. And she was saying that she used the drug to deal with her uh, depression and feelings around that. And, you know, say what you will about substances and whatnot, but marijuana isn't really a performance enhancing drug. And no, no one, no one is like smoking a bunch of weed and like winning a marathon or right. like smoking a bunch of weed and like, you know, I don't, I don't know, becoming like a champion high jumper. Well, we, were talk <laughs> we were talking about this the other day too. You were talking about that marijuana in particular was something that was traditionally used to, to put a lot of black people behind bars. So Oh, 100%. I mean, the, the war on drugs has impacted black and brown communities just disproportionately is, is an understatement. And to continue to kind of like stigmatize it, even though where she used it, it was actually legal. Right. And like, it's it's not a fair thing to be like, oh, this is impacting her athletic performance so that she has an unfair advantage somehow. There's just a lot of kind of little things, you know, I mean, like little, there's just a lot of things like that where it's like, there's so many ways that microaggressions you know, yeah it's, it's microaggressions and like yeah. black and brown people are you know they're they're penalized for protesting they're penalized for not having their hair a certain way they can't have a swim cap that fits all their hair because right. you know it's just like that was the, the other the, thing the disrespect for people's bodies yeah. is just so ingrained in so many of the ways that we relate to people is and it's just it's something that really has to get dealt with yeah, we were look. We, that was another story that was coming up. Is there was a swim cap that was specifically designed for for um, black hair, right? Mm -hmm. And that gave more space because that that hair is not got, uh, got it's not the same. Hair. Yeah, it's not the same got type a lot of, of hair. Volume, got a lot of volume up here. I couldn't fit all this in like a little like right. tiny thing that hit fit like snugly right against my head. Like, are you going to make people shave their hair off if they want to be an Olympian? Like Ex exactly. And it was this. Uh, and that's been one of the. I don't know, having a daughter that was in competitive swimming and seeing that there were definitely some some inequalities in that sport in particular because of some of the, I guess, historical boundaries or, or barriers yeah. for and for African Americans. To historically overcome that barrier in the right. first place and become a swimmer from America yeah. as a black person is enough. Like that's that's a big hurdle right there. And then to be like, oh, there's all these other like little rules about your body and how you look and how you can have your uniform. Like, it's yeah, outrageous. Historically, there was a lot of segregation in public pools and to the point oh, yeah. of, of an, an enormous amount of abuse if there were um, people of color, you know, 
trying to participate within the, yeah. the swim clubs or things of that nature. Some really heinous, heinous stuff. Yeah. And Acts I of think, violence for sure. Well, and I think that they did the Olympic committee reversed their decision to allow this, uh, this type of swim cap. So I think that they're feeling the pressure to make changes to make things more equitable and more fair. And I, I believe that there was actually uh, some kind of change in Shikari's sentence that uh, I think they I think they reduced it so that she would be able to run still. That was the last thing that I heard. Yeah, it's just really fascinating to me to see this because we're we're in a really important moment as far as social justice is concerned and the change, especially here in America. And then we're going to see this on this international stage where we have people competing from nations that are some are very affluent, some are you know very poor. Um, and we we think of it as this leveling of a playing field, but it's it's really fascinating to see how that's going to play out with the the Olympics, with such a I guess a powder keg moment for for the for the world as far as like are we going to embrace the changes that are necessary, or, or are people going to continue to try to resist and live in the past? And this could be part of the Cancer Syrian story too, because I've talked about this with a few other astrologers is there's this cancer longing for a past that sometimes wasn't even real. You know, it's this, that Ouroboric incest is what Liz Green calls it. This desire to return to the womb. I'd call it toxic nostalgia. Tox, toxic nostalgia. Yeah. It's something I struggle with sometimes too, as far as like, you know, just wanting to preserve like, you know, my, like my memories and things like that. I literally have a, a, uh, an attic full of childhood. I was going to say, stuff. are you going to admit the, the Spencer's, <laughs> the extent of Spencer's memory boxes? <laughs> yeah, it's tough though. It's tough because it's the, it's this innocence. I think that you are trying to achieve, but what what I think the realization that you come to over time is that that innocence is not going to be achieved through material possessions, and it's not a longing to return to any specific time period. It's really a longing to return to the the oneness of spirit and the divinity and the divine, you know, I don't know, the divine mind, the divine heart. And if we realize that, we, we'll be able to let go of a lot of these other, you know, uh, I don't know, false things that we're trying to hold on to, especially as, with America being a Cancerian country. I was going to say, America you know? is a Cancer. And the yeah. two, like when you look at that idea, like, the idea that there even was such a thing as the good old days, right? You know, not for everyone there wasn't. Yeah. And so, like, there's that idea where it's like you you want to go back, but to what? And what was the price for that that luxury? What was the price for that walled garden? Like, you know, who built those walls? You know, who was on the outside? Who was on the inside? Yeah. You know, and you want to go back to that like that space where it's like you're in mommy's arms again, but right. the world moves forward, and that time isn't even like a real thing. The idea of like this longing for this like perfect past when like men were men and women were women and everything made sense. And, you know, it not, it's not even a real thing. There was never a time when everything was perfect like that. There was always, you know, things that were imbalanced or things that were unfair or like a shadow side to it where it's like people, you know, were being oppressed or they were, you know, living in, in fear because of like their sexual orientation or because they were abused. There's all these things. There's a shadow side to like, all these idealized times. And I think especially in America, we just, we struggle with that because as a country, 
like we can barely even admit the truth of our own history. And what the more you learn about history, especially like as an adult in this day and age, like you got taught like this crazily like whitewashed version of like, you know, about what slavery was like and what the founding fathers were like and what America means. And when you start to confront that, you're like, oh my gosh, there were no good old days. Like just, it was just people making mistakes, sometimes horrible mistakes for long periods of time. Well, I think this, I think this plays into Saturn's position in Aquarius right now too. Mm -hmm. um, I keep going back to this book that my friend Shu Yap uh, turned me on to, the, the, tiny, the Tiny Universe by Joy Usher, where they describe Aquarius and Saturn's role there as, as creating these glass ceilings where the, the boundary is an oppressive idea that we don't think that we can move beyond. And sometimes the way that that glass ceiling is perpetuated is by controlling a narrative and controlling information and denying other perspectives. This, we see this with like the debate right now over critical race theory being taught in schools where we're seeing people literally saying, you can't teach this because it doesn't fit with our narrative. And that to me is Saturn and Aquarius no, like, really, really powerfully and saying, okay, we're going to perpetuate this idea that everything was great and everything was perfect so that we you know can sleep at night or something like that whatever it is yeah whatever it takes and, right all right so I'm, I'm seeing some comments here um joelle says i love learning more about the deccans i hope to see you there at the talk joelle thank you Lisa says, happy birthday, Spencer. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Lisa. Nice to see you here. Yeah. Joelle is asking, what orbs do you guys use to consider that a personal planet is conjunct a fixed star? What do you think, Tanya? Um, for the moon, that's the one that I end up using the most for kind of talismans and kind of workings. I like it within about three. Um, I think it depends, like it'll, it's going to vary kind of planet by planet, right? Kind of that's that's the sense that I have for, for, for that, but I, I, so. I like at least, I like at least three. The moon is, you know. I would give a wider orb for the moon. I would mm -hmm. say within a degree or two for a, a planet. Um, I also think that the, the, the more, the brighter the fixed star, the, the bigger the orb you can probably give it. So like if you have a really bright fixed star, like Sirius at 14 degrees of cancer, you might have two degrees on each side of that where you're really going to be feeling that. Whereas if you have a, a, a fixed star like Wasat, which that we saw today, which is maybe a magnitude four fixed star. And actually the magnitudes, the, the numbers get higher, the weaker the, the star light is. So I believe Sirius is like a zero or a one and Wasat is like a four. Um, I wouldn't only give that within one degree for Wasat. So we, we do have, you know, this, you know, new moon right on that fixed star, but I wouldn't even look at it if it was, you know, not right on the star itself. Okay. Um, Lisa says, you guys are a dynamic pair. Thank you, Lisa. We try. It's very <laughs> sweet. Thank you. Um, Aaron says, happy birthday, Spencer. Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad that you are here. Uh, Casey Jones says, yes, I got sober a few years ago and found that changing, even for the better, makes those around us uncomfortable because they have to adapt to the way that they relate. That's true. Oh, that's so real. That's so real. And blessings on your sobriety journey. That is something 
I got sober myself um, a little while back and it's been just a huge, it was a huge leap forward in just so many areas of my life. But again, it's leaving behind so many things, right? Because it's so much social stuff and so much of like, even your identity can get kind of like bundled up in like in alcohol or drugs or like the crowd you're with and like just going on that journey where you're striking out and kind of being like, you know what, this is what works for my health. Like I have so much respect for that. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, just the sobriety journey is an interesting one because a lot of the times we create identity uh, through things like alcohol and substances and, and we have communities that are built around that. We have this thing here, especially in America, this kind of like binge drinking culture type of thing. And it, it, it can be really toxic. And when you decide that you want to move forward from that and that you want to let some of that go, it's difficult for people who are still caught up in that to relate to you because there a lot of, from my experience, people who are struggling with addiction, a lot of their life is built around getting to that next drink or that next hit or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to be a whole different experience of life when you go on that journey yourself. And, um, and that's it holds why they- a mirror. It holds a mirror up to them. Like, I think yeah. everyone kind of has a little bit of an inkling if they have a problem with substance abuse. Like, you're kind of like, oh, like, I'm doing this a little more often than I'd like to. And then when yeah. one of your friends gets sober, you're like, oh, like, do I have a problem? And like, that can be really painful to confront. Totally. But that's why we have support groups for people who are going through mm-hmm. this journey, because you know, you're, if you lose one type of community, you may find another one that's more supportive and more in alignment with who you want to be. And I think that that's why, why those kind of like support communities are so powerful, like AA and things like that, because you're, instead of just thinking about leaving something behind, think about what you're actually embracing and what you're moving towards. And that can be a really Mm -hmm. powerful way to overcome these things. Yeah. I love that too, is kind of how that's going to tie in to the vibe that we're starting to see with the full moon here. Yeah. Like when we have that, that moon and that kind of like very first decan of Aquarius, where it's like, you're getting outside the wall. Like now you're yeah. going to be on the outside and you're going to be making your own rules. And what's that going to look like? It's going to be lonely. It's going to be cold. It's going to be confusing, but that's where like the adventure and the treasure is and where the kind of like real self-directed, powerful identity can be found because you're making your own rules and you're creating you know, that part of your life, whatever it is, wherever that's falling in your chart, like maybe it's your work, maybe it's your persona, maybe it's your relationships, you know, but it's just kind of leaving everything behind that was kind of restraining you before and really getting real about what works for you is, is such a powerful journey. And I love that that's kind of where this like lunation culminates. It's just a really kind of beautiful, interesting signature. Yeah, let's break let's break it down here. So so Carly is saying late to this live, but I love Tanya and Spencer together. More Tanya and Spencer content. Well, <laughs> you know, we, who knows? Maybe I'm, we'll I am always here. <laughs> that's true. She does live in the house. So um so we're uh, you know, we like talking about astrology and magic and you know, animals and things like that. So yeah, I think it's going I think it's going well. And thank you for the positive feedback, Carly. Carly's a uh are you a Libra ascendant, Carly? I'm sorry if I'm outing your ascendant here, but I know you have some prominent Libra stuff in your chart. So <laughs> maybe we're... It makes you a, a sweetie, yeah. a sweet sweetie. Well, we're living out the, the Libran ideal here. Like, <laughs> All right. So talking full moon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Culmination. 
Yeah, we're looking at this opposition energy of the five of wands for the sun with Leo one and the five of swords for Aquarius one. And I think I the, see. the first thing that I think of with this, I mean, we're, we are seeing the beginning of the Olympics. So the Olympics start on a full moon. Um, we have the sun, according to Schmidt, being that, that kind of um, energy of selection, like the haves, you know, the ones that are given power, the, the, the kingship, right? Sort of something like that. And the Saturn being that those that are cast into exile, those that are outside the walls, the castle walls, so to speak, we've got these people that are com competing for some kind of thing. So there's the Olympics, like this mock yeah. battle, right? And I love I love that because it's a it shows a conflict that's that's not violent, but it's mm -hmm. deadly serious. Totally. And and we are going to have a winner, and we're going to have a loser with this mm -hmm. moon here. We're gonna some people are going to be achieving the the height of their dream where others are, dreams are going to be crushed <laughs> so i think it's i think the thing though that i wanted to that's why it's, talk, it's rough it's rough well and, and that's why i want to say if there's any <laughs> olympic athletes that listen to our show here uh you know you're sure a winner. there's lots <laughs> you're a winner just by being there i mean having gone through um usa swimming like my daughter was involved in um really competitive swimming where there were some people that she was competing against that probably will be in either in Olympic trials or going to Olympics someday. And they're fast, they're fast special, as hell. Special people. And just seeing the, the, the level of work and dedication and practice sacrifice. that goes into that sacrifice. I mean, just getting to the level of qualifying for the Olympics is amazing. It's like winning the lottery, like as far as like how many people get to do it, but it takes so much work and dedication that uh, it really is a victory just being there. Um, so one thing that sticks out to me right away is we, we had a number of planets that have since changed signs. Mercury's moved into Cancer. Uh, Venus has moved into her uh, fall in Virgo at this point. Um, Jupiter, about five days after this full moon, is going to ingress back into Aquarius. <laughs> and, and, and you know what I said of what we've been saying about this new moon that didn't have any malefic action. This full moon is all about the malefics. Uh, we've got Mars co-present with the sun, uh, and we've got Saturn co-present with the moon. So yep. this is going to be a lot tougher lunation, I think, than the beginning of the the month here. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're probably going to feel, I would say, oh man, just a real challenge between that authentic expression and, and trying to put out our own, you know, self-directed energy versus, you know, trying to get into uh, alignment with the collective needs and the collective good. I think too, what really jumps out to me is that we have the sun just kind of like hopping out of cancer finally and like splashing into Leo where it's, it's loving life. And so like the sun has such a kind of pure you know, rulership there and that kind of like level of like letting your light shine. And the fact that this is the full moon where the moon is just catching all that energy and putting it back out there. So it's, it's an opposition between these two things where you have the sun as this kind of like the bright shining star, like the superstar, like the cream of the crop, the king. And then you have the moon in that first decan of Aquarius, where it's like, this is the outsiders, you know, in the Picatrix, um, it talks a lot about how that particular face is associated with just like slavery and poverty and struggling and just hard work and, and few supports. Yeah. Like there's not support for that. 
but also like there's other facets too. Um, in the three occult books, it shows um, a man and a woman, um, the woman is spinning. There's some associations with a coppersmith, um, which kind of like, is that like making something really like beautiful and not necessarily, it's not gold, but it's still something like really like it's hard, dirty work to make something beautiful. Um, Venus rules this Deccan too. So there's kind of this unexpected beauty in the wilderness and in the challenge and in that kind of getting outside the walls. And so to have that kind of like really unconventional beauty, kind of like mirroring the sun, there's a lot of power there. Um, but that, that co-presence with the malefics means it's not going to be smooth sailing 100%. No. And I think that one of the main themes that's going to come up with this Olympic Games is I think there's we're going to see enormous amount of public protest at these games even though the Olympics specifically have tried to, to repress a lot of that by they, they don't allow public protest or kneeling yeah. or whatever it is. I don't think that's going to matter. I think that no. this is a stage where there are so many eyes that are going to be fixated on, yeah. on this one event that, you know, with the state of the world right now and the changes that we're trying to go through with the Jupiter uh, Saturn conjunction and Aquarius, now, interestingly enough, and I hadn't really thought about this, but the moon is going to be almost almost at the exact degree of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that we experienced oh, at the uh, winter solstice of 2020. Little, so I, little ping there. Right. So I think that this mm -hmm. is a moment where we're going to be seeing you know, people using their voice to, to bring awareness to some of the exiled people and the oppressed people in the world. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to maybe... have a stage that big, like you don't get an opportunity like that every day yeah. and like, yeah, maybe you're going to get punished, you'll get penalized, but it's still worth it. If you can hold up a sign or something that says like, Hey, like in my country, like, you know, people are still being enslaved. Like in my country, it's a dictatorship and people are dying, right. you know? And I bet people are going to just like shoot their shot on that, you know, where it's like, you know what? I, I won, but it doesn't matter because there's something bigger than me. Like it's about the the we and like using that platform to kind of be like, hey, like this is a game and it's important and it's an achievement of my life. But what's more important is what's happening to people that don't have a voice where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a much more serious Olympic Games than we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the Olympics. I, I I'm glued to the TV. Yes, whenever. you do. Yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, just just cancel all my appointments from <laughs> July 23rd to August 9th because <laughs> I, I just love everything about it. And, and and I know that there's some now I'm learning more that there's some definitely some corruption in the system as far as like how you get there, you know, like the way that the, the athletes have to train and the, the corruption that could go into that. And like there's some cheating that's involved in, with some performance enhancing drugs and things like that. But I think that what I loved when I was young, and this is my Cancerian idealization, is I, I just love right, the nostalgia for something that maybe wasn't even real, but this idealized version of something. I just loved the fact that people from all over the world were coming together for a shared purpose, where people could put down their conflicts for two weeks and just play a game together. And I think that there's something so magical and so beautiful about that. And just seeing that it's the culmination of some of these folks' dreams that they've dedicated their entire life to. Oh my to. God, yeah. So the, much The drama. stories, yeah, the, the, the stories, drama. Right. Like you just get so caught up in it. And on the surface, like 
it feels like such a pure expression of human potential. Right. Like if you don't, you know, you don't go too deep into it, but like you're seeing these people who've like devoted their whole lives to the pursuit of, of excellence in this really pure and kind of like single-minded way. And it's really inspiring. You know, I think a lot about how in order to manifest something, a lot of things that I kind of like look at, talk about the importance of like a definite chief aim. Like you have to have a mission in life. You have to have a reason for doing what you do for getting out of bed in the morning. And like for these people, like they know what it is and that's inspiring. Like, you know, I think for a lot of people, you just kind of go through life and you're like, you want to keep your job or you like your relationship, you want to survive. But for these people, there's something more. And to kind of like get a chance to get a little taste of that, that passion and that connection with mission is it gets you fired up. Like it's something that's just like, it touches your spirit in that way. And it's really inspiring. Um, That is something that I, I, I like, I like it. For us 12th house sons, it can, that must be, that must be nice. nice. Like having this, like, you know, this complete knowledge. You know what you're doing? Wow. What's that like? Yeah. Because, you know, 12th house son is a lot of their significations with being pulled off of, pulled off track and having an existential crisis about what your purpose is and what your meaning is and things of that nature. So, Again, yeah, I think that for Tanya and I, this may be aspirational as well. And be like, wow, I just, I just love sports in general. Guys. I mean, <laughs> I have, I have Neptune in the in the fifth house, so I feel like I see they, they play. I, I see transcendence and like beauty in in sports and in entertainment and music and things like that. I'm, I'm watching the NBA finals right now with a, a team that I've followed for. 20 plus years the milwaukee bucks, no bucks. Fi- finally made it to the finals <laughs> and they they were lovable losers for a long period of time a really dysfunctional organization you are for, you are a long-suffering fan long-suffering you 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 imprinted on them like a like a baby yeah. duck on a broom and like exactly. you're like that's my mom like that's my team that's like, right even to the point mom it's not it's a room (laughs) (laughs) even to the point where uh even to the point where i was on like these discussion boards where we were you know finding connection like aa through our shared suffering you know and (laughs) it's really beautiful to even go on there is being a bucks fan as bad as being addicted to to drugs i I mean mean, in a way perhaps yeah i think sometimes (laughs) the emotion the hormonal the hormonal roller coaster. I think the alone. emotional swings were definitely the, the similar. blow. The blow, like you know, that when your sports team loses, mm. your your testosterone levels like plummet. Like they've done studies, like they take yeah. blood out of sports fans, like before and after their sporting team, like like wins or loses, and like it affects your biological chemistry. Like mm. it, your sports team sucking is actually like impacting <laughs> your body and well being. <laughs> Well, my sports team's Fun really fact. good. My sports team is really good right now. So maybe. Well, there I'm, you go. There you I'm go. Extra, you're just extra viral you're just or juiced. something. You're just juiced on, <laughs> on sports success. <laughs> but but it's fun though because the, these these people that I've been talking to for literally over a decade on this kind of like discussion board are you're, you're seeing them find some joy in this, and it's just nice to to have that moment and with this shared. Um, group of people that have gone through so much and that are finally seeing some success. Now, that being said, nobody's won anything yet. And uh, there still could be the letdown of getting an inch within an inch of your dream, like these Olympians, and then, you know, failing. Uh, and, and we have to be prepared for that. That's why, you know, sports is such a, it should be a pastime, but we can't invest so much of ourselves and our emotions in it that we, we create an identity around it. Um, and give our 
emotional and mental health and well-being over to it. And, and I know that I've had to back off um, sports a little bit as I've gotten older, just just for that reason alone. Like my my um, my grandparents used to watch the Green Bay Packers as well. Everybody was from Wisconsin, so I grew up watching these Wisconsin sports teams. And in that state, people take you know the the Packers and the Bucks, mo- mostly the Packers, really seriously, almost to a religious level. And it's, it's fervor. I, and I do fervor. And I do remember as a young person living and dying by whether they won that week. And and it was it was really painful when they lost. And, and I, you know, especially because I lived in Illinois uh, when I was growing up and people were Bears fans. And, you know, now I live in Michigan and things like that. So I'm, I'm you know, the exiled fan. Um, point being is enjoy the games, enjoy the Olympics, enjoy your sporting team without feeling attached necessarily to the, to the results. I, I like to, I appreciate sports as a, almost like a ballet dance and just seeing, like you said, that human potential, the drama of, of, you know, success, but also failure and how are people going to respond to failure? And I think that's a really, there's really important lessons in that learning how to fail through athletics too, because a lot of times there's only one trophy at the end of the day, there's only one gold medal. And, you know, only one person's going to win the gold and someone else is going to be second or someone else isn't going to place at all. So how do you how do you respond to that? And that might be one of the lessons to this full moon, too, is how will you respond to failure? What mm-hmm. happens if you you have some bumps in the road to your flowering and your unfolding? How are you going to respond to to that? That's yeah. going to lead us to the last part of our thing here, Tanya. So. We'll talk a little bit about raccoon, right? Did we did we go over raccoon? We talked about it a little yeah. bit, yeah. Resourcefulness, co- communication skills are important with raccoon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop my share for a minute. Uh, so we've got uh, raccoons can make over fifty different types of noises. Uh, uh, that was one fun fact about raccoons. They're very adaptable. They um, can live off of almost any type of, you know, food resource. They're friendly, but they can be very ferocious if they're threatened, like a cancer. We're pretty friendly, but you mess with our family and there will be hell to pay. Uh, so, so control your fierceness is one thing to think about. Um, use, use of masks and appearances, uh, maybe a need for stealth, cleaning up or releasing the clutter in your life, getting organized, feeding others before yourself. That's an interesting, uh, type of significations because the Raccoons have a lookout when they're going on their bandit ways, and they always feed the lookout first before they they take anything for themselves. Um, There is a raccoon is a proto-Algonquin word that means one who rubs, scrubs, or scratches with his hands. So that goes back again to the, you know, the use of the hands. So doing something with our hands this time and creating could be important. All right, so the last thing I have for all of you today that we can kind of break down is I did an I Ching reading, and the hexagram that I got was number 55. 55 has many names. It's called abundance, zenith, fullness, splendor, plenty, being generous, activating, acting decisively, living in the present, making the most out of the good times. So 55, and there was one changing line, moving to 51, which is called shock. So I see this as like a peak moment, like we just experienced the summer solstice where it's always followed by some kind of decline. And and really 55 is about trying to extend 
maybe the zenith of your greatness sharing by sharing your bounty with others potentially um but this changing line is really interesting it's line number three and i quote abundance is shaded so completely that one cannot see the dimmest stars that one can see the dimmest stars at noon he breaks his right arm no blame so 55 talks about a solar eclipse so it's it's the description of a, of a solar eclipse, an eclipse of power where where a an old guard passed and this other person that had been trying to decide whether to take up arms to 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 take over power was given was asking for a sign and it was given the sign of the eclipse at noon. And I thought that was really fascinating because I think that maybe the old guard is being eclipsed maybe the old power structures are being eclipsed through this lunation cycle where it is going to require us to spring into action where you can see the dimmest stars at noon there's two ways to interpret it one of the interpretations is that ignorance is potentially at its zenith right now and because the, light, the vitality of the sun is not present we may have to uh we may be pray to petty people rising in in importance and blocking uh worthwhile folks and hit, being hindered by circumstances this could be losing our accomplish our, our ability to accomplish things by by breaking your right arm um with circumstances beyond your control making progress difficult right but i think another way this is just coming up to me and this is my own interpretation based on what we've been talking about but i'm going to listen to the oracle because i think the oracle is speaking right now if the sun is eclipsed, if we think of, this is something that I'm thinking about with Alice Sparkly Cat's book, Post-Colonial Astrology. Uh, they talked a lot about the sun representing um, surveillance power and the power of the king and the power of the, you know, the authoritative big brother type of energy. What if we think about this as that energy being eclipsed, like at that, like at that full moon, you know, where we're seeing th the old power structures being shut off so that the dimmest stars can be seen so that the, the little guy the small person the 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 exiled people can have their voice be heard and that wouldn't be possible if we were not able to have the sun be eclipsed so that's coming up in my mind right now as i talk about this let me think about that tanya yeah no that's that's beautiful i mean yeah i think that you know as we kind of come to that full moon that that culmination where it's like it's you know you've gone from like this little seedling in the walled garden you know you've gone through you've been kind of tested your metal's been tested you've gone through the trials you know you you come through like that struggle of, of power at the at the quarter moon and then you reach the zenith of the full moon where it's like you know the light is being shown on the exiles like the light is shining on people who are the outsiders and I think that that's interesting too I feel like as we are in this kind of like shift in where power lies kind of with the advent of the air age, you know, you see kind of like the, the, the downtrodden, but also like even something like micro influencers where it's like, there's, there's little people who have a big impact and kind of by like really finding your people and like by being yourself, like being just like your unapologetically weird, like super unique, you know, very idiosyncratic self, like you will get, the, the treasures because um some of the Deccan associations with that first Deccan are like like it's it's poverty it's hard work but also like there's secret treasures right. and you can make talismans in that Deccan especially using Saturn 
to, to find treasures and to like gain influence. And I think that that's something to be said for just like the power of being yourself, just being completely like your, your weirdest, most unique self. And that's where the, the riches are. And like, as the sun is shining on that, like, yeah, like you're not going to be like Kim Kardashian, but you're going to be, you know, so important to someone. There's someone out there who just like is, is dying to hear what's in your heart. And like, you know, just they're hanging on by a thread and like you being yourself could be the thing that gives someone permission to like leave an abusive relationship or like make a change in their life that they've been putting off. And I think that like, we can be that light to each other, especially kind of like as we embrace our unique light kind of like on the margins and like kind of outside the walls and kind of beyond the restrictions. Well, and see, seeing value with, with uh, what is discarded by others mm -hmm. traditionally mm -hmm. as well. You know, it's, it's be, like you said, being able to step outside the, the norm and find that, that treasure. I think of it as like someone who makes beautiful art from uh, the junkyard, right? Reclaimed. Yeah, reclaimed Brand. art. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That's a good way to think about this. Yeah, that's great. I like that. And we're moving to the hexagram here with the changing line number 51, which is called shock, thunder, quaking, upheaval, the arousing, shocking you out of your lethar lethargy, the hidden potential and sudden change, blessings in disguise, taking action. So there's some questions that come up. You know, 55 says, what are you called to do? What decisions must you make now? And 51 says, what must change and what will continue? So this one seems to be like that sudden event, that sudden shocking thunderclap that wakes you up, um, that arouses you to movement. Um, it's like you you jump up and you're finally awake. You hear the thunder and you're like, oh shit, what was that? And you, like your senses are really uh, heightened because you've gone through that experience, a heightened awareness. And this might be a test of your character. Like with Hercules, there might be some, some event that comes up within this lunation that shocks you out of your lethargic, um, you know, routine and maybe is requiring you to take the next leap forward. Uh, and your first reaction might be fear or panic, but later you might realize that the change is for the best. Um, the key is to stay calm, to keep your wits about you, uh, to reassess your priorities, lessen the burdens that you have, um, respond to the wake up call. This might be just the divine awakening, almost like that tower card. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking right? it sounds like a tower moment. Yeah. Where it's just the the lightning's coming down and kind of like you're, it feels like everything's falling apart, but what's happening is what isn't stable is getting destroyed, and it yeah. feels like a loss, but it's actually a, a gain in a way because it's going to free you from a structure that you shouldn't have been in in the first place. Yeah, this was the tower where they were trying to build the castle or the tower to heaven, the Tower of Babel, right? And where you're trying to build this this way to the divine through material means. And that lightning is is divine humility coming to strike you low so that you can return to spirit, really. So I, I, there might be a moment like that where you feel like you're, like you said, Tanya, everything's crumbling, but it may be for the best and you may be ha much happier for the fall. It's it's Hercules's uh, path to humility from Orion to, to Hercules, to that kneeling one. I would say, don't be afraid to kneel in your life and I mean that metaphorically. I mean that in the, you know, the concept of kneeling is surrendering in your life and saying, you know what, maybe the world and the universe has a better plan than mine. Maybe I do have some more things to learn. Maybe I do have some old beliefs that I need to let go of. And there's some behaviors that need to be changed 
to be able to live a, a truer expression of who I am now instead of who I was in the past, or to reflect uh, equilibrium in the world, to restore balance to the world. Because when you put that energy into uplifting those that are in need, you're really giving that gift to the collective and then the collective can provide for you. You know, I think that that's the thing. That's the thing I've been learning about the generosity of the six of pentacles card, which is where Uranus is, is you, you provide generosity. It, it will come back to you and it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the reason to do it, but the health of the, of the organism can provide more nurturing for the individual, right? The health of the oh. whole. And that's, and that's fundamental to how prosperity works. Like right. it's just the, the law of giving and receiving. You have to give to get. And that doesn't mean that you have to like give all your money away. Like that mean, might mean you're giving your time, you're giving your skills, you're giving your love, you're giving a smile, a compliment. Like these are the things like when you're, you're flowing that abundant energy outwards and kind of coming to it from a place of openness and that kind of like, you know, really caring for everyone because they're literally you like spoiler alert (laughs) but when you when you care like that like it comes back to you like it opens up the channels like that's what you do you you give and you know it opens up the channel for something to come back to you and that's not why you do it but like well i think it doesn't hurt i think about one of the things that might come up significantly with the olympics and just to tie a bow on this is we share this planet you know Mm -hmm. like and things like climate change are really important uh, moving forward. And think about the actions that we take to take care of this Mother Earth, right? To bring it back to the Cancerian. If we take care of that mother that provides such abundance for us, then we'll be able to uh, receive the type of nurturing that we need. If we abuse that mother, if we abuse and take more than our share and, and not let the earth rests sometimes it's not going to provide anymore it's the forests are going to burn down the, the the lakes and the rivers are going to dry up and all that fertility is going to be turning into barrenness so that's that's the type of energy about recognizing that you take care of the the whole you take care of the earth it will be able to provide for you if you continually plant your crop without a season of rest and without a season of decay and ferment that soil is not going to produce nutrients anymore and there's so many ways that you can apply that socially to climate change to social justice all of those things uh it's all related and um, i'm curious to see how it's going to play out for sure we got we got front row seats to some pretty interesting times ahead it's it's nothing if not exciting well, we've got a couple more comments here, Tanya, and then we'll wrap this up. It says, Tanya, okay, okay. your cap ascendant uh, and sad son. My husband is too. That's from Susanna in Finland. Yay. Carly Susanna, is, you've chosen well. We're great. <laughs> Carly is saying 12th house son represents. She is also a 12th Ooh, house son. 12th house party. I love it. Uh, Carly also says, I feel like I root for stocks like some people root for sports. So I feel Ooh, that yes. today, while my favorite stock is down, LOL. <laughs> no, that's that's so real. Yep. And that's the thing too, like there's so many things that we like, I love how that, that kind of plays into that same thing. There's so many things that we like tie our, our happiness and our identity to, and they're all like kind of pretend, but like it's, it's fun being human sometimes to like get caught up in the drama. Like we love it. You know, I, 
we love the drama of like sports and like the drama of like relationships that are tumultuous or like your money's going up, it's going down. Like part of being incarnated is, you know, getting on the roller coaster sometimes, but you have to enjoy it and not be like addicted to it. So it's kind of like, it's a balancing act, but you know, you got to love being incarnated. It's, it's a trip. (laughs) Yes. Little, little footy in the water. Just one little foot. And then Carla says that they've been bonding with a backyard raccoon a lot lately. Yeah, Carly is the animal I'm jealous. whisperer. I'm je- is I, a want, I want a raccoon son. pet friend. Yeah, Car- Carly always has these amazing posts about the animals in her life. She does some things with horses, uh, with oh, goats. Cool. She helps to what? raise goats. Now I'm jealous. You know I want goats. I know. Tanya I want goats, a, baby. Tanya is the, the goat aficionado. We're going um, to have a goat named Black Phillip. So if you want to help our dreams of having a goat farm come true, because I think that this is our, our like little pastoral dream. This is our, uh, you can make a cottage, donation. My cottage core fantasy. At buymeacoffee.com and donate to the cause here. Or Tanya, tell us a little bit more about where we can find you and your goods and services. My goods and services. Probably the best way to find me is through Instagram. I'm T-A-N-J-A. A-N-D-R-E-W-S, that's Tanya Andrews. Uh, Tanya's with an A and with a J because flavor, I don't know. Um, So that's probably the best way to find me. Um, I have magical items and I'm starting to try and come out of my little 12th house cave and post content a little bit more. I'm going to be sharing more kind of magical recipes. And I've been doing a lot with um, kind of cooking along with the planets. Um, I have some eclipse food that I'll probably share and some kind of like cooking for Saturn and Venus and all these things. So that's probably the best way to find me. Follow me on, on Instagram or stop by and say hi. And you have a magical business Instagram as well. And what is that? That is Third Coast Mojo. It is a little bit neglected, but you can also find it through my my main page. And, well, and it's yes, a, it's in its baby, it's, baby it's, stages. It's, see, it's still in the in yeah. little pot. It's that's just okay. in the pot yet. That's we okay. Have, we haven't put it outside yet. <laughs> so follow Tanya at Tanya Andrews on Instagram with a J and at Third Coast Mojo. Uh, she has some wonderful astrological magic products, including a Venus oil and is the, the Come To Me oil, another come Venus to me oil? Is up. Yep. Yeah, and which I have is a hoodoo some, oil, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's a more traditional hoodoo formulation. Um, that was, can we talk about like a, a client overlap that we have on that one? Yeah. So you had a client a little while back and she wanted a man and she wanted a baby. And did the stars look good for that? No. They did not. <laughs> not at all. So like my side, the, the funny thing about Spencer and me is we come at things from kind of two different perspectives on that, that he's just like, no, it's not in the, not in the stars. Like it's, you know, this is a bumpy one. And I was just like, here is a bottle of come to me oil, a pink candle, some rose quartz. Here's what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and just yesterday i saw her pushing her baby in the pram down the street there you go i'm not going to completely take credit for it but i think sometimes when your will is really strong and you're using a magical practice to kind of like focus it and hone it you can really kind of like change the tide sometimes and things like there's there's little little pivot points in the universe like the world is a really strange complicated place and i think that i just i love magic to kind of like poke on those little pressure points and like tip things in your favor when, you know, maybe they wouldn't have gone that way otherwise. And in in addition to all the faded qualities that we have, there is that quality of pronoia. So some of your foreknowledge can help you to 
make a decision in the moment. And, you know, there's definitely debates about fate versus free will. And I think, oh, man, and we and we have them, huh? <laughs> we do. We do. It's very it's a it's very interesting. Like I said, I'm a last quarter moon and she's a first quarter moon. So there's definitely talks in our house about letting go versus manifesting. And I think, like I said, it's a good balance, though, because sometimes uh, I need to feel more hopeful and feel better about being incarnated in a body and and embracing the material side of life. And sometimes Tanya needs to contract and like deal with the reality of letting go. And and it's good. It's good when you have that balance in life. It's a balance for sure. Yeah. All right, my friends, I think that's what we have for today. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Tanya and all of you in chat land. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do this again. Um, she's got availability. She's here in the house, so <laughs> we'll figure it out. Thank you so much for all the birthday wishes today. Um, support Tanya on with her magical journey and her social media things. If you are enjoying this channel, make sure that you hit that like button. That's the way that you can get this out to the, the most amount of people and help the algorithm. If you're new here, please subscribe to the channel. That is a great way to help and get regular updates for what I'm doing. Uh, you can also book a reading with me. I love doing readings with people. I've been having some wonderful clients lately. A lot of the people in the chat have been found me through client work, and I love working with all of you. So if you are wanting to support the work that I do and get some guidance and some interpretation about what the divine might have in store for you, reach out and schedule a reading. Um, as you know, I am having a talk on July the 17th with the Deccans through Nightlight Astrology and their summer speaker series. That's going to be July the 17th at noon. Um, there is a link in the video description here to sign up for that. It is a free talk. Please join me with that. And um, I think that's what I've got here in the hopper for all of you. So thanks again, Tanya, for being with me today. I'll see you in, in a minute in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks all of you for being here today. And uh, I appreciate all of you. So thank you very much, and we'll see you later. Peace.